This is Bill Slavasek, and I have never heard the uh, Order 66 podcast. <laughs> hey, this is Pablo Hidalgo from Lucasfilm, and I have never once listened to the Order 66 podcast. Hey guys, GM Chris here. While most of our hosts are at Gen Con 50 this weekend, it's given us the chance to connect with some old friends and some amazing listeners, even pick up some support for D20 Radio. Special thank you tonight to Walter Boss for supporting this show and the work we do. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Broadcast Live. You're listening to the Order 66 Podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. What is up, Gamer Nation? If you are joining us for the very first time, welcome to the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars gaming. This is your co-host, GM Chris, and uh, I am, I am, I'm a little sad, or was a little sad, because I was kind of all by my lonesome uh, for this particular episode, because my normal co-hosts, GM Dave and GM Phil, are currently either getting drunk after Gen Con or flying back from Gen Con. Um, but you know, we were not to be denied and thanks to the wonders of the gamer nation. Um, I have two very amazing people who will be joining me to help co-host this show tonight. Um, the first I've got to welcome, uh, uh, one of our, one of our sponsors, um, a guy who actually helped a huge part of making gamer nation con happen last year. Um, and, uh, very happy to have on Fred, Fred Janney. Welcome, Fred. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to support the pod. It's a pleasure to be here and oh, you have made a terrible mistake. Oh, I'm going to push that to the test. We'll see. <laughs> well, if your suggestion for show topics is any indication, I'm not too concerned, to be perfectly honest. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. Um, so Fred actually suggested a really interesting topic for tonight's show, and it was kind of in line with some of the other requests we've gotten, you know, in certain veins. I thought it was too good to pass up. And when I, when I really started digging into it, I realized I couldn't properly do this justice without bringing another co-host on, um, who's got some expertise in these particular matters. Plus, I really like the way he sounds when he talks. So, uh, GM Hooley, welcome back to the show, brother. Hey, Chris, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> and our expertise, I'd hardly go that far. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here, and we'll glean from you what we can. That's really all we can do. Um, well, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to be here. Maybe not James Spahn excited, but um, I'm very excited nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm excited. I'm I'm a little bummed I, I didn't get to go to Gen Con um this year. Aren't we all? So it yeah, it, it's kinda it's kinda bumtastic. And you guys haven't heard yet. You will hear when you re-listen to the show, but we actually got um Dave was on site and actually managed to get some liners uh from Bill Slavasek and Pablo Hidalgo. 
Ooh. Oh my god! Ooh. <laughs> um, There's some name dropping yet again. <laughs> um, uh, and and apparently Pablo said he wants to be on the show. So, oh, <gasps> what a catch! Well, I don't know if that's one of those like con promises or. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll 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 see. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I'm sure he's a very busy man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he's an extremely busy man. Um, hey, do you want to fly coach to our little con of 150 people? <laughs> <laughs> but knowing Pablo, he probably would. You know, yeah, probably would. Pablo's a pretty awesome dude. But oh man, well, okay, we have a fun show to get to. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. So, what do you guys say we get into some announcements? Let's do it. Sounds good. Do it. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. All right, it's announcements time. Huli, do we have a featured podcast this week? Yes, we do, Chris. Um, some podcasts you can't listen to. The older knowledge contained within is so mind-shattering that it will leave you drooling on the floor. And that's why we listen to the Miskatonic University podcast devoted to the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Uh, they just released episode 129, Overworked Horses and Precon Chat, with a host of banter about... Uh, with new with a new cry update uh they then talk about necronomicon providence uh and you can find this and many more podcasts on the d20 radio network oh yeah uh, www.d20radio.com i have to say necronomicon is the best name for a con ever <laughs> i know right <laughs> that's it's just that's absolutely that's absolutely superb um so very very cool um so dude ffg news gen con 50 is underway ffg they've been dropping some stuff man some big stuff yes oh man yes it is i'm so happy that i get to be the one to announce this because like a like a bolt of lightning out of clear blue sky ffg announced a 30th anniversary edition of the west end games star wars role-playing game this was Mm. this was the first rpg i ever got to run and my and my friend's kitchen like this is this is a huge moment for me mm. dude I, I i god and this is like a limited or this is like a limited a, reprint right yeah so if mm, you, if you yeah. want it you're gonna have to get on it oh man and they were talking about how they've like digitally remastered it and it's like you know updated graphics like crystal clear you know mm. like, the original artwork oh man this was this I, I, blew me away. I can remember this. I'm with uh, with you, Fred. This was the first game that I ever ran. I'd played in D and D and Top Secret and whatever else, but yeah, when this came out, my head exploded. It was amazing. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome, dude. I am. I am. I am. I am thrilled. I am absolutely thrilled. Um, so the other thing they announced, interestingly enough, this is kind of out of the blue, but they're releasing a Star Wars role-playing game game mat. Um, it's like mm-hmm. like like a rubberized a rubberized game mat, like you would have for a board game, you know. Except it's mm-hmm. freaking huge. It's like twenty six inches by twenty six inches. 
Um, it's 25 bucks. It's pre-printed with all these cool Star Wars graphics and like Vader. And there's the um, uh, pre-printed info on the mat for like difficulties and dice and symbols. And there's like a little set mm. area for tracking initiative and a destiny pool. Um, looks pretty interesting. Um, it's a brilliant. It's a brilliant decision, frankly, because they made these these same style of mats for the uh, Arkham Horror LCG, and mm -hmm. everyone loved them because you can just you've got your game space, you plunk it down right in the middle of where you're going to be playing anyway. It's got everything you need for organization. They're great. Yeah, I, I it's it's kind of it's, it's just unusual. I don't know if I'm going to get it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Star Wars role playing game on it. Of course, you're going to buy it, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't well, know. If you like me, yes. <laughs> well, okay. Well, Huli, there was another announcement that came at Gen Con that may end up taking all my money instead. Well, yeah, it's a bit like that. And this is probably the biggest announcement that's come out of FFG um, uh, at the show. And that's Star Wars Legion. Uh, the miniature goodness keeps on coming with the announcement of an entirely new miniatures game from Fantasy Flight Games. Star Wars Legion, a character scale minis game. Instead of using squares and a board, this game is the uh, the true distance measured tactical war game uh, with player-defined playing area like X-Wing or Armada. Um, the miniatures supposedly are a little bit bigger than the Imperial Assault minis, uh, but um, wow, yes. If you, um, if you need more minis for your RPG, you're, you're just about to go and buy a box. Well done. <laughs> Ouch, my wallet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy this and I'm probably gonna play it, but I I have I have one issue. And these minis are not pre-painted. <laughs> um I know that sounds petty, but damn it, one of the reasons I'm willing to shell out what I am for the X-Wing and Armada minis is because they are pre-painted miniatures. Yeah. Um, so I hope the price point is decent on this. I just don't have the time to paint anything. I just, I really don't. Um, yeah. but read, reading about this and I was actually messaging some guys who got a chance to really get an up close look and, and, and deal with it at the con. Apparently, um, it uses just like, just like kind of like X-Wing and, and Armada do, do, it uses that kind of movement system. So there's these mm -hmm. sort of pre, pre-done templates, you know, like extendable templates for movement. Yep. Um, yep. So and that's like basically that that that's that's like an old school tactical mini war game where you're measuring inches. It's just a lot easier to do. Um, yeah, it's also it, it's an interesting thing not to get too because I play a lot of miniatures games and I don't want to get too down that rabbit hole. But there's a very interesting thing that Fantasy Flight does with a lot of these miniatures games where they say, you know what, you need to to play our game this box. You don't need this box and a tape measure and a bunch of other dice yeah. and like a, mm. uh, a a laser pointer for precise precise line of sight measurement. Yeah, that's Rob, something that that certainly others suffer from. That's for sure. So, it, yeah. uh, and it's it's it, it gets it gets love and it gets hate. It gets love from guys like me because I'm like you know I just want to have a box that I can play with. Um, but for guys who are really into into tactical war games, like I don't know, <laughs> there's something sacred about your measuring tape <laughs> and and your and your 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 laser uh, uh, measuring leveler. You know. Um, for li for line of sight, there's yep. something sacred about. It. I don't know. Um, Rob is actually in chat. He points out there's actually a wonderful demo video for this out there. You guys should go check out. Of all the mechanics, I think the one thing that really intrigues me the most is unlike your typical mini war game, or well, many typical mini war games, where you're literally moving each unit and you're measuring their distance. 
you deploy these guys basically in squads and they have a commander. You move the commander and then instantly you can just grab all of his commander's units and move them along with him and place them in a certain radius around him. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, and then you have some units that are so powerful, they're like, they don't have a squad that is the commander unit, you know what I mean? But I thought that was really intriguing. And, you know, watching the demo video especially, it seems like it's real. It would it would give you that tactical mini war game Jones, but it seems like it would really speed up play. <laughs> um, yeah, especially since they use the um, the custom measuring sticks. You just you move your commander. That's that's done. That's your precise movement. And then you get everyone else set. Exactly. So. I don't know. It's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. And okay. And calling an audible in the show notes, I obviously don't have it out uh, here on the show notes, but um, they, they weren't selling it, but there were lots of demo games going on and they even had the, a, a sort of mocked up book in a case for Genesis. Um, oh. And dude, I like, I, this is, I guess this is the time we've teased it on the podcast before Huli, but you're here now, man. And, and I, I think I don't know if you guys I think you guys will probably be the first, in which case you can actually say you're the original, which is nice. But uh, you were bringing a podcast to D20 Radio, are you not? Oh, Huli's dropped again. He's off. He's he's. Oh, no, no. He's been having uh, audio issues, but that's OK. Um, yeah. So Huli and, and several others are, are producing a podcast um, called The Dice Pool, and it is going to be it's going to be on D20 Radio. It's going to be devoted to the Genesis RPG. Um, and they're already planning their first episodes and interviews and the whole nine yards. And it's going to be, it's going to be epic. I, I don't know. We had a comment from Kevin in chat. He was like, he was like, I'm excited about this, but I, I, I hate the name. What do you think of the name, Fred? Do you like Genesis? Um, it's the name itself is appropriate. I'm always a little on eh, creative spellings of the word Genesis, but they get a pass because this is something that we have wanted for so, so long. Well, it's looking at those yeah. FFG dice and going, I want you for everything. For everything. But, you know, it's a, it's a play on the word gen- on, on the words generic system, right? Sure. So it's like it's like I, I OK, OK, I get it. I get it. Um, you know, and I, I it's catchy. It's catchy. But I I. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to complain too much. I am. I am thrilled. And Phil was was messaging. He was Facebooking nonstop. And if you guys are following D20 Radio on the Facebooks, you can see those uh, those pics he posted of the games he was running. Um, and it looks to be truly epic. So, um, Huli, are you back with us? Uh, can you hear me now? We can hear you now. Awesome. Um, yes. Um, yeah, look, the, the stuff that he had, uh, the, he posted up was just, um, yeah, very well done. Um, he, uh, he said that, is it Terranoth? Is that the, the name of the, the, uh, the world that they use for, um, for, Ru- uh, for Runebound? For, for Lunar, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know um, enough, I don't know enough about Runebound, honestly. I need to know enough about Runebound. <laughs> I think you're going to be. I, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to do basically, um, a, a fantasy, so. Um, uh, fantasy sort of setting. So, uh, but yeah, these are all the things that that, uh, that we're going to need to know about very, very quickly uh, when we do our own podcast, as you mentioned uh, before, with the uh, the Dice Pool podcast. Yeah, I think I think that I think the Dice Pool hosts are going to become uh, experts on all of those proprietary FFG uh, yeah. IPs, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, it's, so- <laughs> uh, it's interesting trying to to sit down and, and do. I mean, this is probably something that that you had an issue with as well, Chris. When uh, when you've flipped over to uh, to the FFG Star Wars, is that we're dealing with, you know, what changes have been made. I mean, obviously we've got the the Star Wars game that we can be looking at, 
But as far as what else they're going to be changing, who knows? So, um, yeah, we're waiting with that with bated breath. I like what I've seen. So I've been analyzing those those all the character sheets that were posted um, by the various players. And obviously, those are now public domain information. And so we can all analyze till our heart's content. And I th- those sheets tell me a few very important things about this system. Um, the first is how it handles magic. And I freaking love how it handles magic. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. where, where basically there's different magic skills. Okay. Um, yep. and if you want to cast a spell, there's a base effect for it, but if you want to do crazier or more complicated things, it comes down to increasing your difficulty before you make the roll. Or I imagine after you cast it, you're going to be able to spend advantage and triumph to do additional crazy things as well. And that also means that threat and despair can be spent for like backlash and wild magic type stuff, which I think is freaking (laughs) brilliant. That is a really good way to handle that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the things that somebody mentioned as well was that, um, there seems to be a lack of a of a specialization mentioned. They they had like the Korea or whatever it's called. They they yeah. had it on the, um, the the thing, and I'm just going. That's interesting. Yeah, that's I that's, didn't pick that's up on that. That's the other thing too that people have been analyzing. And so what I hope that means is that they've done away with specializations and talent trees. Um, maybe mm. they maybe they go for more of like a fate model where it's like a chapter of of uh, talents um, that you can just get with certain prerequisites. Um, mm. and at that point, oh, so like a pick and choose. Yeah. I mean, I, that's what I'm hoping for at least. Um, because at that point you can really, really, and m- maybe, maybe those talents are bound by class maybe. Okay. Or by career. Um, mm. but even then that allows for a, just an insane amount of customization in the character. Um, and I think mm. that would be, it'd be really nice. So I agree. That's, yeah. I'm look, I'm really looking forward to it, uh, to seeing the final product. That's for sure. So um, yeah, we've um, we've spoken to Sam. So who knows what will happen down the track with that? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's good. It's 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 all good. As I'm working on my Harry Potter hack, um, <laughs> uh, I so want to play that, Chris. Well, you will at Gamer Nation Con. You will. I mean, our our, our Gamer Nation Con five. You know, obviously next April. Um, our theme is magic, mm. and um, I've been working on that Harry Potter hack since the month after Gamer Nation Con four. Um, yes, you have. And uh, um, I've been working on it with Phil, um, and uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty amazing. But you know, regardless of what Genesis ultimately is, there's some things I've already determined for this hack that I absolutely love, like how magic works, and especially in the world of Hogwarts, where you have wands that are damaged or can backfire and things like that. Um, you know, mm. spells sort of rebounding on people. It's just the perfect way for threat and despair to be used when you're casting a spell. So. Oh, yeah. I'm just I can't I can't wait. Um, the opportunities basically are just absolutely limitless, um, and it's it's using a great mechanic which we've already seen before. Um, yeah, I, I love Star Wars, so you know I just think that this is just the the next extension. Which um, yeah, has who needs any? Who needs any other Talk about uh, uh, what you can lift directly from an existing Star Wars book into Genesis. Yeah, you guys will have to do some talking about that. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Hopefully. Because absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking Harry Potter, I'm thinking that one, that's basically a lightsaber. And boy, <laughs> we have some fantastic <laughs> lightsaber creation rules. Creation rules, that's exactly right. Um, Dude, I so, love uh, it. There will no doubt be, and that's one of the things that we want to do is um, we've sort of got a bit of an idea that we'll have 
um, a uh, you know uh, have a you know how like um, with with Order sixty six obviously you guys have got the um, uh, the what uh, you know it's uh, what is it called the um, uh, when you go and talk about specialisations oh yeah well isn't well isn't we that special have, yeah. No, that's special. That's right. So we want to have sort of something similar, but as a campaign setting. So, you know, um, that each of the hosts come up with a bit of a campaign setting and, uh, you know, just um, flesh it out on air just to, to see how that goes. Because I think that this system is just designed for that, for four people to basically get together and go, you know what, this is what I like. And somebody says this is what I like and just smash it all together. So, uh, yeah, we're going to give that a go and see what happens. Sweet. It's going to be awesome. Now, to keep things moving, if you guys want to know more, we even have another resource for you. Because, see, the thing is, while you're, while you're surfing about on the internets and you're, 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 you're checking Facebook and you're, you're, you're looking at various places to see info about all this stuff, you need to bring your little cursor for the, you know, from your mouse up to your little URL bar and you need to type in www.d20radio.com because not only is that a home for great podcasts, it also happens to be the best gaming blog and online shop for Wookiee Hair Tonic, unofficially, um, <laughs> on the Outer Rim. Uh, not really, but what it is is the home of the best fan-generated articles and content that continue to wow us. And in lieu of what we were just speaking out, we have a couple highlights. Uh, speaking of, we have a couple highlights from this past week. Mm. Um, our editor in chief, Wayne Basta, the legend that he is, um, got the privilege of interviewing D Twenty Radio's own Sam Stewart, RPG manager at FFG and lead developer on the forthcoming Genesis system. Uh, and Wayne peppers Sam with um, questions about Genesis, and in usual form, uh, Sam doesn't answer a lot. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, obviously, he's got limitations, but um, the interview is really, really exciting. Um, and so, yeah, definitely go and take a look at that. Uh, on top of that, uh, D20 Radio's own Scott Alden returns to his The GM Awakens uh, series to bring us fan stats for a brand new ship, uh, the Tide Deceptor. As a crazy new option for your games with its roots back in the, the Star Wars Legends lore. Apparently it's a ship that can phase out of real space and reappear elsewhere on the battlefield. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like anywhere within long range. And the, the history behind the ship I freaking love. Like they were when the Empire was trying to experiment with stealth ships, um, and they, they, they created these Stygium cloaking uh, devices for them. Um, they first tried using other materials to power the cloaking device. And the first one they did, when the ship activated, the ship just disappeared. It just disappeared. Okay. And not like cloaked, like flat out disappeared. Um, and, and they discovered tell me, tell me that's not a uh, uh, adventure fodder right there. Chris. Exactly. Okay, exactly. So, but anyway, in the lore, they, they basically realized what happened is it actually had disappeared out of real, real space and rematerialized, atomized elsewhere. Um, and they, they ended up building on that and basically developed this tide deceptor that basically can, in Scott's rules, the thing like can so it like the ship can suffer four system strain and like the pilot makes a check and then literally it can disappear and reappear anywhere else in long range. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty wicked option for your games. Um, but you guys can find that and, and a whole lot of more content daily over at d20radio.com. And while you're over there, you'll see a couple, uh, links on the right hand side of the page, a couple buttons. First one will take you to our very 
thriving forum community. The other will take you to our Patreon. Um, if you guys are a fan of the of this podcast, if you're a fan of the other shows on the network, uh, the blog and the content we produce, uh, you want to help us out, keep the servers running, um, and most importantly, continue to keep our authors paid for the work they contribute to the blog. A couple bucks a month, that's all we ask. Um, and of course, stay in the know by following us on D20 Radio on the Facebooks. We have a D20 Radio discussion group and an Order 66 podcast dedicated Facebook page uh, where you can stay abreast of news and podcast info on a daily basis. Uh, we have amazing uh, articles and discussions and all kinds of things. Our, our community really does live on that Facebook page and a lot of great stuff is posted there. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio. Uh, new content and articles are linked regularly as well as podcast show announcements. So follow us. Mm. And now, ironically, since you're here with us, Huli. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. Uh, we're going to return to another episode of our new uh, semi-regular uh, segment, Gaming Tidbits with GM Huli. A segment where, in about 10 minutes, our own Aussie for Hire, Huli here, will delve into a specific topic of the FFG Star Wars system, bringing together scattered rules and dev rulings, summarizing all major points and answer questions. Everything you need to know about that tidbit to run it and your games. And Huli, what is tonight's gaming tidbit about? And tonight's gaming tidbit um, is about vehicle movement um, leading into vehicle combat. Oh my. Well, without further ado then, let's give it a listen. Hello there, I am M8AU, Human Cyborg Relations. Welcome to Gaming Tidbits with GM Huli. You are looking for GM Huli, are you not? Very good, sir. GM Huli is just attending to a business matter, and if you would like to wait for a moment, he will be here with you shortly. Oh, that will probably be him now. M8, M8, fire up the engines. I may have said some things, Horax men may have said some things. Let's just say that enough was said. Anyway, we need to get out of here right now. Sorry, sir, but we have some company? Who? Oh, it's you. No time to discuss this in a committee. Buckle up, my friend. Things are about to get a little rough. I told you to buckle up. Sit down there. Well, here goes nothing. Right, so we're clear of Soleil and headed back to the University on Itabiti. I hope that's where you wanted to be going. So, what's so important that you needed to track me down in the middle of a smuggling operation? Vehicle combat? <laughs> that's a topical subject, isn't it? Seriously though, vehicle combat is what makes Star Wars great, and the use of it during a role-playing session is essential in providing your game with that unique feel that the Star Wars movies and television series provide. Unfortunately, vehicle combat in the role-playing game can seem to some as a little daunting, but as I'm always happy to help, I'll try to break it down. Firstly, let's focus on movement. Vehicle combat can be found in each of the Star Wars role-playing game core rulebooks. The basic premise of vehicle combat is that it works as close as possible to the way the personal combat does, just on a much larger scale. This has been done to make the transition from one to the other much easier and even works so the two fit flawlessly together. In vehicle combat, pilots take actions and maneuvers as normal. 
Range bands are named similarly, with the only variation being that Engaged Range is called Close Range. Weapons have damage and critical ratings, along with special weapon qualities, so basically it's all the same. The biggest difference though is that unlike people, vehicles have varying speeds, so instead of having set speeds like there is in personal combat, the speed of a vehicle determines how fast it can travel from one range band to the next. Each vehicle has a speed attribute which is found on their vehicle statistic. This value is the vehicle's top speed. There are many ways to increase this, mainly through the use of certain talents and vehicle upgrades, but we won't touch on those here. A vehicle can reach its top speed in one of two ways, either through gradual acceleration, increasing the speed by one or two each turn, or through the use of the punch-up maneuver to go straight to top speed. Sir, should you mention at this point the difference between a maneuver and a pilot-only maneuver? Yes, seems as good a time as any, eh, mate? A character can always perform an action and a maneuver. The character can turn an action into a maneuver or can spend two personal strain to make an extra maneuver in a round. In vehicle combat though, there are also pilot-only actions and pilot-only maneuvers. These types of activities take a personal action or maneuver to perform respectively. Vehicles unlike people though can only be pushed so far before they start to fail. Consequently, a vehicle can only perform a single pilot-only action and a single pilot-only maneuver. Of course, this is the blanket rule for all vehicle types. However, smaller vehicles with a silhouette size of 4 or less can perform an additional pilot-only maneuver if the vehicle converts the vehicle's single pilot-only action into a pilot-only maneuver. If this occurs though, the ship will suffer two points of system strain. The pilots themselves, however, can perform their own personal actions and maneuvers without these limitations. The game currently has only one pilot-only action, and this is called Gain the Advantage. In this action, the pilot is using all of their focus and skill to get their craft into the perfect position to attack. Because we're focusing on movement, we won't touch on this application here. Pilot-only maneuvers, on the other hand, are more varied. There are currently six types of pilot-only maneuvers. We have Accelerate-Decelerate, which increases or decreases a vehicle's speed by one up or down respectively. Evasive maneuvers, which upgrades the difficulty to be attacked and to attack from the vehicle. Fly Drive, which is used to move between range bands. Navigate Terrain, which is used to evade objects, whether they be asteroids or heavy traffic. Punch It, which enables a pilot to reach the vehicle's top speed at the cost of system strain equal to the amount you accelerate the vehicle by. And lastly, Stay On Target, which is a great way to make shooting at a target vehicle easier, but also allows you to be more easily targeted. It should be mentioned here that each of these pilot-only actions and pilot-only maneuvers do have several other limiting factors, such as a vehicle's silhouette and or its current speed in order to use them. These can be found under the full description of the pilot-only actions and pilot-only maneuvers in the various core rulebooks, and we won't be discussing it here. So, now we have explained pilot-only actions and maneuvers, let's get back to vehicle movement. Basically, there are four different types of speed categories in vehicle movement. There is a speed of 0, a speed of 1, a speed of between 2 and 4, and then any speed above 4. A vehicle with a speed of 0 can't move. A vehicle with a speed of 1 requires one manoeuvre to move within its range band, or two manoeuvres to move between short and close range. 
A vehicle with a speed of between 2 and 4 can move between close range and short range with one manoeuvre, or between close range and medium range with two manoeuvres. And lastly, a vehicle moving at a speed greater than 4 can move between close and short range, or close and medium range with one manoeuvre, or between close and long range with two manoeuvres. The best way that I've found to track vehicle combat though is using hexagonal grids. It's not entirely accurate, but it does take a lot of the visual complication out of the equation. Shall I activate the hologram, sir? Um, this is an audio podcast, eh, mate? Well, um, yes, of, of course, sir. Oh, dear. Now, I've found that using 15cm or 6-inch hexagonal board sections are best and allows a number of models or tokens to be used in a single hexagon. Each hexagon then represents a range band. The next thing to know is how ships move on this board. Simply put, a speed of 0, the vehicle can't move. A speed of 1, one manoeuvre to move within the current hex and two manoeuvres to move an additional hex. A speed of between 2 and 4 is one manoeuvre to move to an adjacent hex or two manoeuvres to move two hexes. Lastly, a speed of 5 or greater, one manoeuvre to move two hexes or two manoeuvres to move three hexes. Now, this is an easy solution which allows players who may have difficulty establishing vehicle positioning to have a visual reference to a system. Let's face it though, examples make things so much easier to explain. So let's examine what I had to do to blast my way out of Sole's capital. Now, my ship was on the ground as I arrived and I was sitting at a speed of zero. I needed to get out of there pretty fast, so I decided to spend a pilot-only manoeuvre to punch it. This got my ship up to its top speed of 4 immediately. The speed of my ship could now affect how quickly I would move between range bands. This enabled me to move the ship from the landing pad up to medium range straight away in order to hightail it out of there so the bounty hunters couldn't catch up. Bounty hunters? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Oh my! Once clear of the landing pad, I then had to calculate the jump to hyperspace. So the ship in its instance would take a total of 6 system strain while I myself took two strain. Now let's look at the breakdown. For my personal action, I performed an astrogation check. It should be noted that I still have a pilot-only action up my sleeve, although I cannot take that as an action as my astrogation check was considered my action for the turn. The first maneuver I have taken is as a pilot-only maneuver by using the punch-it maneuver. By using this, I increase my speed by four points and therefore the ship suffers a number of system strain equal to the points that it accelerates by, in this case, 4. You'll notice here that technically I haven't gone anywhere. I've basically just put pedal to the metal to ramp up the engines to full power. I then convert my remaining pilot-only action into a pilot-only manoeuvre and perform the fly-drive manoeuvre. Because I'm travelling at a speed of 4 now, I only get to short range which should be enough to get me out of harm's way if the bounty hunters were packing heavy artillery. This is the vehicle's second pilot-only manoeuvre, so it suffers two additional system strain. Now because that was also my second personal manoeuvre, I personally suffer two strain. So tell me, do you feel more confident to try out vehicle combat now in your campaign? I'm still trying to deal with the fact that bounty hunters are after us. Of course you are, mate. But for our friend here, they've just taken their first step into making their games that much more exciting and enticing to their players. Sorry, um, but we're going to have to cut this a little bit short as we appear to have arrived.
Damn it. Star Destroyer. Horak must have pulled some strings with his Imperial friends. Well, I was going to talk to you about vehicle combat, so it looks like next time we'll be taking a more hands-on approach. Thank you, Gentlebean, for listening to Gaming Tidbits with GM Hooley. We hope that you have enjoyed your stay. Come again soon, won't you? If you have a question that you would like answered by GM Hooley, please contact us via the most archaic of technologies, email at gmhooley at d20radio.com. Goodbye. Hooley, that segment is phenomenally well produced. I have, Thank you. I have, I have high <laughs> hopes... I have high hopes for your podcast, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> it's like I'm, a, I'm your, your young child sending out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Well, I want to get into the meat of this show. Um, but before we do, so, Hooli, everyone's familiar with you. Fred, you're a mm. new voice to the show, man. Fred, where mm-hmm. do you, first of all, for our listeners, where do you hail from in the world, brother? Uh, I live in the outskirts of uh, Boston, so I'm in the same general area as uh, Phil. Oh, fantastic. Marvelous. Um, and, dude, I mean, how long have you been gaming? Um, well, as, as I mentioned earlier, like I, someone introduced me to Dungeons & Dragons in elementary school. <laughs> uh, I didn't really do, you know, do much with it at the time. And then beyond that, I was you know, running games for a couple of friends with, uh, with the old West End Games rule book in uh, middle school getting everything wrong because that's what you do when you start out. Um, and so I've been, I've been involved in like gaming tabletop gaming forever. Um, but I really didn't do much role playing until after college. Uh, cause I moved from Virginia to Boston. Um, and you know, you know, my friends and my friends in high school, like we were, we were video game guys, you know, we're playing on the GameCube or the N64. They weren't really down with RPGs. Um, uh, but then, through tabletop gaming in Boston, I was introduced to a whole new you know, crew of friends who were all into D and D vampire and all this, you know, all this other <laughs> stuff that I I've never really played uh, that much of, and it was uh, a whole new world, you know. <laughs> That's disturbing, and and yet oddly satisfying. Um, I was going to say arousing, but okay, go yeah. with it. <laughs> And yet, oddly arousing. Yes. Um, Awkward. That's absolutely fantastic. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, dude, I'm I'm glad you're here with us. Um, So... uh, Oh, okay. Well, let's let's talk a bit more about this. What do you guys say we could just get into the meat of this show? Yeah. Sure. Except we've got one question, Chris. Oh yeah. As you ask every single person at the uh, that comes on the podcast, oh, Fred, yeah. what's your favorite pie? Ooh, that is a toss up between lemon meringue or like upside down apple. You know, like the crusted apple pie. Wow, friend, you and I can be friends now. It's all good. <laughs> upside down crusted apple pie. Wow, mm. I, I I just love the lemon meringue. <laughs> wow, All right. Okay. 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 All right. All right. I'm gonna ponder that as we do this. All right. 
So, a long time ago, in an edition of the Order 66 podcast, far, far away, we discussed something called The Questions 3. You guys familiar with this? I am indeed. I am now. So, <laughs> in, in those days, uh, before the FFG Star Wars narrative dice system was even a, a gleam in Jay Little's eye, uh, before we had these amazing motivation, obligation, duty, and morality rules to really help us flesh out our characters, we at the Order 66 podcast, um, we discussed a very simple method to ensure that your character had character. Now, when the new game dropped, and, and so did a, a new version of the podcast, we were actually asked by many fans if we would redo the questions three for this system. And the answer at the time was no. <laughs> um, Simply because this system gave us the inborn character mechanics to, to flesh out your characters to the same degree. We didn't need the questions three anymore. And since the introduction of the FFG system, we've done shows on how to be a good GM. And even more recently, uh, back episode 82, Ask Not What Your Group Can Do For You, we did a show on how to be a good player. Um, mm. A lot of shows are about how to be a good character in terms of being an individually optimized character. Right. But there is still one aspect of good player dynamic that has been woefully absent from our podcast discussions to this point. Uh, sort of callback to the questions three. So as we were welcoming Fred to, to our show for the first time, Fred, you actually suggested this topic. Um, we shared the idea with others and it was quickly echoed as a very good idea. It was just kind of too good of a topic to ignore. Group dynamics. And the idea is, yeah, you can have a great GM who uses the list and follows great campaign building principles, all of which we've discussed over the years. Um, yes, you can be a good player who optimizes their character, fleshes them out from a role-playing standpoint, follows the good player guidelines we've discussed. You can have all this and still not be a cohesive, dynamic group of characters, a party. And for the party to really gel, to work together, it takes thought, it takes planning, best practices, learned behaviors, intertwining, role-playing opportunities, obligation, duties, moralities, motivations, covering party roles well, and crafting character concepts both before the game starts and as it continues together. So tonight, at Fred's excellent request... We are going to unravel the secret mysteries of good group dynamics. Not just making great characters, but making a great party. So sharpen those pencils, Gamer Nation. Roll up those sleeves and crack those knuckles. And let the note-taking begin as we dig into the third question tonight on your Order 66 podcast. So, okay, guys. I've been tentatively titling this episode The Third Question. What the mm. what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> is this entirely in my head, or I mean, are you guys familiar with the questions three from days of Order sixty six? Your well, I came on to you uh, post FFG narrative dice system. Ah, so the answer um, is no. So it's a little little before my time, but <laughs> the questions themselves are they're fairly straightforward. You've got three main questions that are designed to help you as a character um, really figure out who you are yes and as a uh, as a game master they're incredibly important because they give you these tremendous role-playing hooks that can actually give meaning to the character and drive the character forward mm -hmm. um so okay 
let's go through let's go through the questions three. I think I think it's worthwhile having a callback to remind some of our older listeners and maybe inform some of our newer listeners of the questions three because honestly they're not limited to Star Wars. These are these are things that can be used in virtually any system to uh, for for a GM to really apply to their characters. Um, so let's mm. let, let's start with the first one. Um, uh, Fred, do you want to take it? Sure. I mean, you've got this question. What does your character love? That's love with a capital L. That's all caps, <laughs> bold text, love. Um, something that they would fight and die to protect or make you know, a major sacrifice no matter what. Uh, even the most vile, evil despot has something, someone, somewhere they care deeply for. A touchstone for that character that serves as an anchor for all of their actions. Uh, it could be a family, a loved one, uh Cats, uh, it could be a planet, <laughs> you know, it's, it's open as long as it's critical to their motivations. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, it's like n- n- nobody in, in, in a real story is just steepled fingers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like even, even, even it, 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 there is one exception and that is probably Palpatine, but he gets to be, <laughs> um, I mean, even even if you get into the Star Wars, he, he does. He loves power. At the end of the day, yeah, he but loves power. He does, but as a GM, I would never accept that as an answer to this question. Um, be, sure, because it needs to be something that I can use as leverage against that character. Something right. unexpected. Um, you know, even even in in Star Wars Legends, uh, uh, Tarkin, Moff Tarkin. You guys remember? I think her name was Admiral Dala or Dala. Um, that rings a bell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically, Tarkin had a love interest, all right, and she was everything to him. And I mean, you know, he he would do anything for her, and that was, you know, even you know, it, it's it's there. Okay, so that was anyway. That was the first question. It's an important one. Huli, what's our second of the questions? Three. Well, the second question is, uh, what does your character hate? Um, and that's with a capital H underscore um, bold, whatever. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, even the most beloved Jedi Knight has something or someone uh, or somewhere that they that they would go out of their way to harm no matter the circumstances. And whether that be, uh, you know, Anakin with slavers, um, an arch nemesis or something like that. Um, every character has something that is driving them that they don't like that they want to get rid of, that they'll go out of their way yeah. uh, to uh, to ensure that the galaxy no longer has them in their presence. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So that's sort of something that's really driving them um, in in the background of, uh, of it's, I guess it's kind of motivation, but, um, but yeah. And and this is this is the thing. It's like it, it can be it could even be a minor personality point, but it, the idea is that everyone carries a prejudice in a good story. Okay. Hmm. And and whether yeah. that's whether that's a legitimate present, like you know, I hate slavers. You know, okay, well, yeah, shit. So does everybody, right? <laughs> but but it's one of those <laughs> things that th- this this is this is the thing that will 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 pull like like the in in the Bugs Bunny cartoons where the 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 red goes over the bull's eyes. You know what I mean? That it, it, it will drive it will drive you to there. There is no talking them. It's like you know, yes, I'm a Jedi Knight. I'm devoted to peace. I'm devoted to this. And the, he comes across slavers is a great example. And it's just the red goes over his eyes, and he's like, nope, they have to die. Okay, mm. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um. And so from a from a from a plot hook standpoint, what does your character love allows a GM to take 
characters that are, 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 for lack of a better term, on the evil bent, okay, maybe smugglers or self-interested scoundrels, okay, and have mm-hmm. something that you can put at risk that they will actually care about. On, mm-hmm. on the other side, for the paladin-esque characters out there, they have something they hate. This is something you can give them a moral challenge with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, now, the third question of the questions three and the eponymous title of tonight's show why is your character here? Simply, and this was, was always also one of the more important questions to ask, why is your character willing to be here now working as a part of, insert organization here, okay? Uh, you know, the rebellion, <laughs> the empire, the corporate sector authority, a, a planet or a planetary government, the sector rangers, the Jedi order, whatever, okay? You know, um, you know. The, the, the king's council, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the knights of the round, you know, whatever it is. OK, hmm. but the answer to that question cannot be uh, I'm getting a payday. OK, <laughs> there has to be a, a, a committed reason that they are here. And some yeah. of that some of that could be their relationship to some of the other characters. Um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm here because my brother's here. Um, you know, something, but it needs to be something meaty that is a reason for them to actually give a shit. Okay. Um, it's basically their call to action. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and that, that, that matters, but it needs to be very specific and important to the party they are currently adventuring with because it, it, in, it prevent, it prevents, quite frankly, it prevents douche players from going seriously. And we, and I'm sure most of us have played with these guys. It's like, you know, no, I'm not doing that. I'm staying on the ship. Whatever, I'll do what I want to do. Okay, um, mm. you know that poor player behavior was what was what Genesis a lot of the need for that that third question, um, but mm. it goes a bit further, um, and and that question is really at the core of what tonight's episode is about. Why is your character here? What connections do they have to the party? Um, mm. So. Okay, guys, history lesson over. Let's talk about party dynamics and cohesion. Um, and, you know, Fred, when you were pitching this idea for me, one of the things you said is is going beyond the, so you all meet in a tavern concept. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, if that's your cup of tea, that's perfectly fine. But it's just the, the trope of role-playing for a very long, long time was this 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 whole you all meet in a tavern and then I guess you decide to go on an adventure like you're ordering a pizza you know like um <laughs> we'll take the goblins in the tower um and it's fu- it's fine but that you you lose the connection it's that or you know like you're in the tavern and then goblins attack and your paladin's like Tobacco! um and then you, you form you form a bond over combat um, but again that's still something that's uh, it's external it's not something that you chose either as players or player characters. Um, mm. It's, it's very ephemeral and it's, and it's very, tr- it, it, it can run out. If you, you choose not to, like as you, you enter the, the social contract to say like, well, you know, we're all here at Steve's house. So I guess we'll all be a party together. Um, mm. but, but you can, you can do more. You can be more with who you are as a party. Hmm. Um, and just, just, there are off the bat, there are a number of different ways that the players benefit from having something that's more cohesive from having something where where you are, 
you know, you are not a bunch of people brought together because Obi-Wan promised half now, half on delivery. Um, <laughs> but, but you're, but you know, you're here for, for, for reason. You're here for that third question. It, it makes the story make sense. Um, exactly. And I, I, I like this. So let's, let's talk about some ways in which this can make the story make sense. Um, because, you know, to, to even go through this exercise that we're about to, to talk about with you guys and really focus on this, it's some work. It takes a little bit of work and, and we're going to, we're going right. to talk about that, but there's some serious benefits to this work and some common mm. party dynamic problems you can overcome by doing this work. So let's, let's talk about some of those problems and let's talk about, um, uh, you know, what this work can, can do for you. The, the first one for me is, uh, um, what would you go uh, aim for the bushes? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, basically if, if you, if you have this kind of bond and you're developing this thing, if you've got a reckless and, and brilliant idea, but, but, but you need help. Okay. Whether this is, is at the start of the game or in play when you have this kind of bond and this kind of, of of character cohesion, having another character along who is established as your longtime friend, for example, from the get-go, means that you've got someone to back you up, rather than a group mm. of strangers who just, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to put my neck on the line for your dumbass idea, uh, you know, uh, well, you know that, that's, that's a really stupid idea. But in character, when those bonds are established, the GM can be like, really, would your character react that way to him? You know, and it's it's like, well, shoot, he's God. We've been friends forever. No, no, let's. He's he's got a point. Let's do it. Okay. Um, and you know what it does is sometimes you want to try and put binders on the Wookiee, but you don't know that Wookiee, so he's going to roar at you and threaten you with violence. But you know, the Wookiee's best friend might take your lead on this one and and go along with the kid's plan. Yes. 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 Okay, so in in the same thing, what what other types of common story problems can be alleviated through this method? Well, I mean, you have it's it, it's less common. You don't run into it quite as much, but you you have this uh, situation where you can you can set up a, a you want me, you bring him uh, dynamic. This is helpful if you are bringing in a new member to your gaming group, um, or if you're starting a new group and you've got someone who's totally fresh to role playing. Um, you can make your character an anchor point for their character. So they, you know, they can feel more comfortable as they uh, acclimate to the game and they don't feel like they're kind of alone in this group. Uh, say if you are playing, I don't know, uh, an academic or a medical type and uh, you're bringing along your strange, uh, force-sensitive, secretly brilliant, secretly a ninja, uh, younger sister that you're smuggling away from the Empire, you have this dynamic where you've got your friend who's new, um, they can always be uh, attached to you, uh, even while you are dealing with the rest of the group. Um, although one caveat I would put on this uh, that didn't occur to me previously, if you're a GM and you are dealing with this kind of situation, the moment, the moment you see that new player get into it, you see them start to invest in the game, give them time to shine. Yeah. That's just a piece of advice because you want to establish as soon as possible that this new player, this new character is not baggage. So I have two stories about this particular point. One is a good example and one is a horrible example. Okay. Um, in both cases, I was the GM. Um, many years ago, when I was not as experienced a GM as I am right now, we had a new player come into the come into our group, and this was Dungeons and Dragons game. And uh 
the the new player he was he was friends with one of the players none of us knew him okay and basically as a gm i'm like okay how do i bring this guy in mid-session and the way i did it and and this is and i've seen this done in star wars games too it's they had a mission and the local lord said oh by the way this is my agent and he's going to be accompanying you okay Ooh. and and th- that's that's common that's a pretty common thing okay uh, as a way to bring a new player in you know what i mean it's yeah. like it's like it's like okay here's here's somebody who represents local government he's going to come with you and your hope as a GM is that th- that person will become integrated with the party and they'll learn to trust each other and this and that right um and and it didn't work out that well it, it got to a point I mean from a from a character and story standpoint like this guy would be like well why don't we do this the other guys were like no we're not doing that we don't do things that way and you're a freaking observer here you know. You know, you're going to do what we tell you to do. It wasn't a very positive experience for that player from a story standpoint. Now, many years later, um, in a Star Wars game, Brev actually brought in a new player um, who became one of our OG gaming buddies after he got his taste and he was totally addicted. But when Brev brought him in, he talked with me and the new character talked with me and we came up with the idea. And it was actually Brev who said, listen, I just I don't want this guy to be like a government agent or anything like I want him to be like I want him to be family. Like, I wanted a reason for me to bring him in. And basically, we wrote it in that, that this guy's character was Brev's character's brother. And it was like his his younger brother. And it was like, yeah, I'll give, yeah, he's coming into the fold. This is my brother, you know. And it created this instant connection between those two characters and this sense of efficacy between the new character and the rest of the party. And even if they thought his ideas were hairball, it was like, well, it's so-and-so's brother. Okay, we should give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, So... There's my two examples of where this 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 type of dynamic works and it can help or hinder the party if it's not there. And it's it's something that you raise there. This issue of trust is is like surprisingly critical when you're talking about player character dynamics because there's another situation that you can kind of avoid uh, with this, this this party cohesion, and that's these silly. Uh, session one Mexican standoffs, you know, everyone's kind of swearing off like you drop your blaster. You know, it's, it's, it's natural for, for player characters to kind of size each other up when they first meet, you know, like what, what, what do I think about the character being described? Um, but you often have in these early sessions, you have characters, they don't have rapport or they don't have the trust necessary, uh, necessary to share vital information. Um, and they might be uh, resistant to biting onto the plot hook that you set up as a GM to kick this campaign off. Um, in, in my gaming, uh, role-playing circle, we refer to this kind of like pointless, understandable, but pointless lack of trust as, as someone is playing vampire. Um, <laughs> I, I have had at least one session where the session itself stopped dead because I brought in a new player character. I brought in a new player. These two, these two different players, they've been, they're longtime friends, but they refused to trust each other. They were pointing guns at each other for something like 20 minutes in real time. And I had to fall back on like, hey guys, you you have that Highlander sense that you're both player characters, you know? And that's, <laughs> you don't want to have to do that. And so why not just skip that whole awkward period completely? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I, I had something very similar happen to me, um, and it's it's highlighted on episode fifty five. <laughs> We're on a uh, if you go back all the way, um, uh, it was a when good games go bad, and we had a very similar sort of situation where um, 
the I had a brand new party. Uh, this was the first campaign that I'd ever run under the system, uh, but certainly not the first game that I'd ever run as a GM. And uh, I had two players. Um, I was trying to basically bring everyone together. Uh, I had one player who wanted to play a Jedi, one player who wanted to play like a Clone Wars type um, clone. Um, and then I had another group who wanted to have their own sort of smuggler party. And the problem was, is that uh, how did I mix the two together? And we started off, admittedly, it was in a bar, but it was there was a, a you know a contrived um, situation that, that I'd put in that they'd gone there to be hired. Uh, the the mercenaries had been hired by the Jedi to get them off planet because they were uh, they were wanted. Unfortunately, that sort of devolved um, just due to one dice rolling. But I think ever since then, I've always decided that uh, if I'm going to run a game, there's always going to be um, uh, the situation where the the PCs have known each other for a while, and there always has to be that uh, those connections there. So. You just—it's so very important to have that connection, otherwise, that um, yeah, it can just sort of like fall apart very quickly. Yeah. yeah the other thing that um, the—I mean, all of this is is meaningful. There's a, another thing that I, I've noticed too. Um, to what to harken back to Rogue One? Uh, you know, you know, I still prefer the T16s. You know, um, <laughs> there are there are times when you're playing. I mean, like, like Cooley, the example you just described, that's a, and everything we've been talking about, these are like serious problems, okay, that have erupted in game, mm. okay? But honestly, yeah. when you have this kind of, of group dynamic built in, I think the last point for us to really talk about in terms of how this is going to benefit you is, is it, it also solves a minor problem that everything we've talked about isn't going to happen that often. This minor problem is going to happen all the freaking time, okay? And yeah. th- this is when you have two characters that either by circumstance or necessity are getting all of the GM's attention, okay, <laughs> is, is really mm-hmm. focused on one or two characters. So yeah. what happens during those scenes in game time? You know what happens. Smartphones come out. Tablets come out. Players disengage. Mm-hmm. They start window shopping through the equipment sections of the core rule books. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there, is, there, there is honestly no surefire way to make players care about a scene that doesn't involve them but if you establish that you and another pc have a shared interest or a hobby or maybe even a chore you're both responsible for then you can turn that sort of downtime scene into a fun or humorous scene to play out and fill time that the the entire Mm -hmm. party will enjoy okay um so little little things like that and what it comes down to for me is is like this kind of stuff binds the party together in a meaningful way what we're going to be talking about tonight is, is when you understand the connections between party members from the get-go. Keeps the players invested in their characters, working together beyond a mere paycheck or a ramshackle set of circumstances. Um, and, and as such as we've talked about, this is not only a phenomenal tool for that, but as we've said, this is a phenomenal tool for players who may not know each other that well before the game starts. Because it gives them an excuse for their characters to like each other. Um, and that will lead to the players liking each other. Watch, you'll see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, th- those types of scenes when you have this in play, it's like a, it's like a pickleback. I, uh, <laughs> um, do, do you guys know what a pickleback is? I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, 
Do you like pickles? We don't really – pickles really isn't a thing here, and I'm sure that there's a whole heap of Australians that listen who are just going to go, that's not that's not right, Ian. But, um, <laughs> but um, I just – no. It's not my thing, so um, no, I don't. Well, I'm a, I'm a fan of pickles, and I'm a fan of pickle juice. And uh, um, anyway, if you are a whiskey drinker, try, try the pickleback, which is you chase your whiskey with a shot of pickle juice. <laughs> Um, Ugh, I don't know about that. To, you, you, you say that, but what <laughs> what it what it provides you, and it's just one of those weird things of human gastronomy. This is a really weird analogy we're going down. Um, it's one of those weird things of human gastronomy. What you will find is that the flavor and the taste of the whiskey marries after you've drunk it with that pickleback. It 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 lingers in a very positive way. And you really, will, it just sounds like it's going to end in a bit of divorce, but um. it's it's absolutely brilliant. Huli, when I, I I actually I've started creating um uh I've actually I've got a jar in the fridge. We'll see if it works. I I got a recipe for um uh whiskey uh whiskey pickles basically where you you mix whiskey in with the pickle brine. Um, wow. So they're they're whiskey soaked pickles. I'm gonna have to try these. I'll let you try them at Gamer Nation Con in the spring. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, anyway, the point I'm saying is that this kind of stuff is like it's like it's like the pickleback for the party. It will marry the flavor of the party together, and it will stay with you long after when you first establish this. It will surprise you how often it comes up. Mm. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about actually doing it, guys. Um, you know, mm. I want to I want to talk about how now that we understand how this can be beneficial to your game, I want to talk about the best ways of actually doing it, actually developing this party cohesion, and in in two major areas. First, how we can do it before the campaign even starts, um, and then eventually, I want to talk about how we can, in some small ways, do it continuously as the game goes on. Um, mm. But you know, for I think and I think we can we can call this session zero basically. Um, for, for Possibly the most important thing to ever do yeah. in a yep. campaign, no matter Absolutely. what game you're doing. Absolutely. And so I, I, wa- I want to talk about this. I want to talk about actually, I mean, I'm saying session zero is just in terms of pre-planning, but let's actually talk about, I mean, Huli, talk to me about actually having a session zero. What do we, what does that mean when we're talking about it and, and, and in the context of this? Yeah, well, absolutely. Look, basically a session zero for me anyway, there's, uh, it, it, Effectively, it's a pre-planning session where the group makes characters together. They discuss their their backstories and plan and plan the party so that it all works together. Um, I've you know used a number of different other RPGs to do this sort of thing. Um, my favourite um, is uh, is what's the name of it? Uh, is Fiasco, where you're forced to basically create everyone with links all over the place. Um, and uh, that, I think, if you've got that together, uh, that's going to serve the purpose that uh, everyone's going to have a common goal, um, whether they be, and there may be an inter-party conflict, um, but uh, that sort of thing, it, it's the sort of thing that can be done online, it can be done um, sort of in a group. I prefer to do it in, in a group. Um you know, many people obviously in in our modern age create private Facebook groups for the campaign. Um, they uh, they set events for for game nights and they post up stories and sharing ideas. And I know that my group does do that. 
but I always insist on having that session zero in person. Uh, people will always come in with their expectations of what sort of players, what sort of characters that they would like to play in a game. Uh, and, uh, you know, there can be some arguments to say, well, look, you know, I want to play this and that's not going to work with this, whatever else. But for the most part, everybody's got this bit of an idea to of what to do with with their, their characters uh, and what they want to play. And then that session zero enables them to mash all of those together. Uh, to have some sort of, you know, uh, sustainable group cohesion that can last throughout the entire campaign. And this, uh, the session zero is also, it's very, very important because it allows the GM to clarify with the players what the tone of the campaign is going to be. What are, what are the themes? Um, not just, are we playing Force of Destiny, Edge of the Empire, blah, 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 blah. But, but you get to decide what kind of a campaign. So you don't run into a situation where someone... Uh, takes all their time to, to, you know, create some kind of charming politico, and they show up and, oh, sorry, everyone, you're heading straight into six months of trench warfare. <laughs> uh, unless, unless they unless they agree to that ahead of time because they had a session zero and they wanted that, because I have, I have at least two friends who would jump at the chance of playing essentially Blackadder in, in, a, in, a, in a war campaign. <laughs> It is true, <laughs> but it's like you know, and, uh, yeah. Pl- players co- in like creating their characters collaboratively, it helps avoid those really rare but frustrating instances where the PC concept creates a negative experience for the play group as well. Um, I've experienced this a lot of times in my campaign. Um, I, I and we, we were we were talking about this, Fred. You actually had an example for this. I've literally had this happen, where oh my. I've I've literally had this happen where after the like as the session is starting, I have a note passed to me by one of my players that literally says, So I'm secretly an Imperial agent. And I'm like uh. like literally what? Like we <laughs> like we, we had to stop the game and I'm like, you, me, next room, right now. It's like you know, what the hell, man? <laughs> Step one, scream into a pillow. <laughs> but but kind of doesn't that sort of go against the whole, you know, don't be a dick uh, at the table to sort of, you know, sure that it's interesting to have those sorts of things to create that drama, but you don't want to be falling into the same sort of category as, you know, somebody who does think horrendously bad and they just sort of use the excuse of, well, that's what my character would do. Um, you know, you don't want to fall into that tra- trap. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's absolutely correct. Now, in regards to that, I'm perfectly fine with the player doing that as long as I clear it beforehand. And it's got to be mm. one of those situations that that player needs to be aware that the arc for his character is going to be dealing with the fact that they grow close to this party. They believe in these people. They love them like family. But their, I don't know, for lack of a better term, obligation is that they're forced to inform on these people. And I expect, I mean, I would have a conversation with with that player and be like, okay, but you need to realize that at some point it's going to come out and your character is going to have a very difficult choice to make. And I want it to be good party conflict. Right. And, and this is, this maybe brings us to our next point guys, because when you talk about having this kind of session zero to have kind of planned and shared backgrounds, it's not just about the lovey-dovey hugs, feelings, and familial relationship connections between these characters. 
it's also about the conflict between these characters. Mm. Um, to qu- this sort of this this sort of campaign or uh, uh, this sort of uh, setting genre lends itself to that, as as Keith Kappel has been famously said in the past. You know, it's um, Star Wars is all about people bitching in space. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean the the point the point is that you have characters who they don't have to agree, you know, they don't have to get along with each other just to to have a connection between them. Yeah, um, I, I mentioned uh, earlier to Chris uh, one of the things that kind of inspired me in in uh, me and, and some of my other players who become gems in my you know local group is to borrow from other system mechanics that work for this sort of thing. And and the mm. example that I brought up is uh, there's this. Uh, there's this horror game uh, called Dread. Uh, some people might know it as uh, as the game that uses a Jenga tower as its conflict resolution yes. mechanic. Love um, Dread. And that's Love a diceless it. game. It's a statless game. Um, so what you do in the, be- in the beginning is players have essentially a questionnaire that they fill out with a bunch of questions culminating in what is your name. Um, and these are designed <laughs> primarily to establish what the player is capable of in this scenario, because these are all kind of like one shots, you know, what is the player capable of? What do they, uh, what do they bring with them either physically or skills or what have you? But the other really important thing that you can draw from this, uh, from this system is because the, the system is designed to fuel drama, to fuel kind of engaging character interaction. You ask a series of leading questions um, so once you have, usually what will happen is you have your starting group of characters as, as the GM, you kind of know what they're, what they're playing. And then you send people questions and you say, you know, you need a little bit, obviously you need a little bit of player buy-in because it can sound a bit like you're making decisions, um, for that player character, but you know, really you're just prompting them for, for information in a very pointed way where you say like, you know, what you, you don't ask What's your opinion of Tom's uh, uh, character? You ask, why did you choose to forgive Tom's character? Yes. You, you are prompting yes. the character to, cre- to create something between them and that other character. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can say, like, all right, so these questions that I'm going to ask you here, the answers are secret. Um, this is like, you know, like this is kind of your, your secret information about your character. And then you take like one question that they answered and you give that to another character. You're like, you know, this secret about that character. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good mechanic. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it, it's an extremely good mechanic. I have to give a shout out to chat. Actually. Um, Arrakis is talking about, you know, how he uses session zero uh, in his games to an extreme effect where they, they craft the reasons the PCs are together. And then in, in, Back, calling back to our earlier discussion about the idea of somebody who's, uh, you know, secretly an imperial spy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, Rick Richeru, uh, who's listening in from across the pond uh, in chat right now, he he brings up. Uh, do you guys ever watch? Have you guys ever seen Burn Notice? Hell yes. Oh yeah. Hell yes. Dude, uh, 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 Bruce Campbell's character Sam. That that is his character. He's a guy who starts out. He's got a very strong connection to this party. Okay. Um, they're friends, they trust each other, but he's secretly informing to the feds, right? <laughs> um, 
And, and it becomes a point of contention, but they get over it, and then they still have to deal with it. It's like, he's still an informant for the feds, and it's like, okay, well, I can feed them this information or that information. And and it, it became an actual major conflict point for those characters in a very positive way. That's that's how you do it right, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and, and something else I think to consider as well is that there isn't anything wrong with the other PCs knowing some of those secrets. I mean, obviously, there, there's some that you don't want to. But in a circumstance like that, if we if we use Bruce Campbell's character, the rest of the the rest of the players could actually probably know what that secret is. Obviously, it depends on your your party. But if you've got a party that uh, if you've got a group of players that are really quite mature in their role playing, mm. they can sort of move the story in that direction that it will be established later on down the track that that's what he that he is this informant. But initially, they can just be completely oblivious to it. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that some merit has to be put on to your players as well to enable them to uh, to have some sort of idea so that they can, especially in this system, that they can help draft the story in that general direction. Completely agree. Yeah. So, okay, there's there's actually some concrete mechanical ways, guys. I mean, we've talked about some hacks you can use. I mean, obviously, the fiasco method is great. Dread, uh, you know, the 20 questions from, from L5R. There are ways that you can stay within system, use the tools entirely available to you that are in these books, and still create those pretty intense links between characters. Um, and, and the first one and the most obvious one to probably a lot of listeners is taking that session zero pre-planning time to craft shared obligations. Mm. Um, you know, and, and the reason being, like, from the three, you know, obligation, duty, morality, obligation is 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 my favorite um, mm. for, for, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is it's frequently touted by a lot of people as, as the best of the three because it puts narr- it puts narrative complications and stress on the characters and can even mm. give them resources in some cases. Um, so mm. so I, I don't know. I think obligation could be a pretty solid way to bring dynamic together in a group uh, with two or more characters kind of having linked obligations, but you do have to be careful with this. And we'll talk about that. So talk to me about this, guys. What are some ways that that we can have linked obligations within the party? I mean, we already discussed one that family, family, it's a, it's a clear cut way to, to handle this. If you want to have, uh, uh, two characters, or I don't know, heck you've got a, a Partridge family van is your, is your player group, but you've got everyone <laughs> uh, related. Um, but you, if you have these family ties that bond, uh, characters together and they share obligations because, you know, family looks out for each other, family tend to, uh, share each other's problems. Uh, so if you've got a bounty or a criminal obligation to uh, a family's treason against the empire, well, that's that can be shared amongst, say, a pair of siblings. Uh, or an oath or obligation to a mentor or a parental figure can work the same way. Uh, I actually did play a Force of Destiny game where um, a friend of mine, we played um, identical twins. And so we, we took, in addition to the, the Force of Destiny, the uh, morality, we took a bunch of obligation based on our past. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, uh, just um, referring back again to uh, to the episode fifty five. Obviously, I've never had a chance to to tell anyone what the final outcome of all of that was. Um, that I had to, I didn't retcon it, I guess, but uh, I fixed the problem by the 
the smuggler who was the one that was having the problems with the Jedi, they ended up being um, twins that were separated at birth. I know that's very Star Wars, and know that that's a complete cl- ripoff. Classic. No, I'm sorry. That's of, classic Star Wars, right that's there. It's not a ripoff. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I've been able to grab those two characters who were having this sort of this conflict, and then putting them together so that they're related and they've worked together for a while and now they've gone, wow, that connection's a little bit stronger. And so it started bringing in these moral conflicts of, I really don't like what the Jedi did, but she's a Jedi and she's related to me. So, you know, it's uh, that, that makes, that made for great storytelling. Mm-hmm. So you bringing any anytime you have a situation where you're essentially kind of bringing an external problem home, you're bringing it into the family, like, that mirrors real life, so it's it's no shocker that you can accomplish a lot with that in an in an RPG. That's mm. right. So, mm. yeah. So we got a question in chat, actually from uh, from Will, uh, who says he's been listening. He wanted to ask a question. What do you do with the character who's there for the paycheck because they're a merc? He says my favorite character is a merc, and I thought the best way to explain my being. Um, uh, it, 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 my being is relationships, which which we mentioned. But what about them being kept around by the obligations they keep getting due to following around a PC party? Um, there's an well, inher- that kind of goes back to the that kind of goes to the old adage of um, you know I almost got out, but they've dragged me back in. <laughs> um, that uh, you know the the uh, the old cop, I, I guess. But um, yeah, so you know the. That's- it's, he says in chat, like, as soon as we're done with the hut, I'm leaving. Okay, we're done with the hut, but now I got imps wanting me. As soon as we get them unpissed, I'm gone. Okay, well, the imps don't care anymore, but as soon as I get Black, Black Sun's death mark off me, I'm gone. <laughs> um, but that that's almost turns into a running gag then, doesn't it? It is. And, I, and I, I, we'll, we'll come to this in a moment, but I would not handle that with obligation. Um, yeah. I would handle it more with a motivational aspect, and I'll, I'll talk about why in a minute. Yeah. Um, but... Mm. Um, Okay, you, but okay, Hula, you mentioned the idea of, of, and this this is another good use for obligation. I want to build on what you just said, talking about players who are both part of the Jedi Order, and so it's like, oh, yep. I don't really care for what you just did, but you're you're part of my Jedi clique, so I'm going to be okay with it. Um, mm. Dude, shared service. It's very similar to the family obligation that Fred talked about, but like when yep. when characters come from the same planet, the same Merc organization, law enforcement agency, force tradition, they, they're going to share a similar bond. And consequently, they can share similar obligations. I mean, in the in the era mm. of the books, if I got two Jedi characters, they're both probably going to have a criminal obligation, okay, or a bounty mm. on their head. And, yeah. you know, you know, and the, the idea, you know, we ride together, we die together. That's, that's, <laughs> you know, and I may not like you, but <laughs> the two of us being together, we are going to shoot for the same goals and avoiding the same stress and complications. Exactly. But I mean, you've also got other examples like um, uh, another podcast on the network um, is um, Dice for Brains that um, they're centered on Bava. So you've got these characters and, and that's where they've sort of, you know, one has grown up there and another one uh, was shipped there by the by the Imperials. So they've got that joint sort of connection to the planet to free their world. So that's sort of... Uh, I know that's more of a little bit more of a motivation, I guess, but um, that kind of can bring those characters closer together because they've got that common goal, they've got that common interest of of where they're from. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and on, on top of that, you can you can craft it maybe even more specific to the the characters of the classes, uh, the specialization. Sorry, um, in the, in the the party itself, if you want to set up something like a business partnership, you know, you don't you come from many different backgrounds, but your characters or the characters in the party all serve a similar uh, common interest that the party is driving forward. Um, this is actually kind of an easy place to slot in droid characters if you have. Um, this is the, the classic, you know, I'm such and such, and this is my droid, um, because you all work for this little uh, business that you run. Uh, however, provided provided that any PCs, any players in the situation are comfortable with the terms of the kind of boss-underling relationship, you know, they've, they've sorted out who's in charge, who gets paid, how much they get paid and how, etc., um, but like, for example, if you've got, if you wind up with multiple PCs who have, uh, uh, sound investments, uh, or you've got a couple people who are good <laughs> at, uh, item crafting, well then they're, they're adventuring across the galaxy and they're running a business. You know, they're showing up with their light freighter full of guns that they're smuggling mm. for the, uh, for the Alliance. And then they're like, how would you like to buy some custom armor to go with those guns? You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, one of the rules, uh, Dave, we, you know, as, as Chris mentioned, that, uh, you know, using the rules that we've already got without reinventing the wheel, uh, you've got um, the uh, the business rules and you've got the uh, the homestead rules from Far Horizons Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I mean that's that's got group obligation linked into it. That's that's the, the one of the core things with it. Uh, we've done that with uh, with our current campaign. It's funny you should mention um, uh, you know the entrepreneur because we've got a an, an entrepreneur, we've got a mechanic, we've got someone who's a bit of a heavy and, and whatever else, and they've uh, that they're on this sort of swamp world that's had um, separatist and republic battles above it numerous times and it's just um fallen into the into the swamp effectively after uh, you know these battles have occurred and so they got their idea of um because i wanted to to have like a very much a business based campaign and what they did is they decided right well could we be junk dealers uh and so that's they've used that business we we used it as a mine as such, except that they're mining for parts that they're recovering from uh, from all of these fallen battles. Oh, cool! Um, but, that's uh, awesome. So, so that sort of business partnership, it, it's linked them together so that they have this common purpose. Of oh, I think Huli dropped again. Oh no! Oh no! It's okay. Common purpose. We get what he was saying, though, and it makes perfect sense. I also have to comment on the idea of the mine. Um, that's a brilliant use of creating a mine. You don't have to be mining ore or Tabana gas. Um, if you if you if you have a mine on a junkyard planet, you could be mining parts. Okay. Oh yeah, you set up a, an, a, an outfit out on Ordmantel. You can pull up all kinds of crazy stuff. Absolutely. Well, that's that's basically where I stole the uh, the idea from. Um, uh, was I was actually talking to Keith Kappel about this sort of idea that the guys were coming up with. And originally, we're having it set up as a business. Uh, and then uh, Keith said, why don't you do it as a mine? And I've just gone, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, and it, so, it is. Um, it is. And this thing, they're, not build, mm. they're not building anything. They're literally taking, no, yeah, they're, they're scavenging things that were already built. They're mining them. I mean, really, when you get down to it. Mm. So and what it, they've done up until re like recently, they've gone, right, well, why don't we buy a business as well? And so they're going to have a repair shop. 
um, next to the business. So uh, next to the, the homestead. So uh, yeah, that's and it's, hey, it's kind of worked really really well. Shout out to Force Unleashed. Uh, you can you can base it on on Raxus Prime. If you guys if you guys recall, <laughs> seriously. Um, so these are these are really good examples, guys, of of how you can have these kinds of shared obligations between one or more members of the party. And then it goes without saying, um, a bit of an audible on the show notes, the mere fact that you have obligation when it's stretched and no one in the party can spend XP because your total obligation value is 100 or more, that in itself creates a sense of party cohesion. Okay, because okay, oh, wow, yes. we we all we all have to deal with this now. Like the players get you know get anxious at that point. Um, <laughs> so so there there is that, and and it's like you know after so many years of playing this, obligation still my favorite. I talk to GMs even if they're running Age of Rebellion characters. They're like, yeah, I just use obligation for the whole party because it's yep. just it's just I'm, it's I'm, yeah it's I'm exactly the same. It's like it's exactly easier, it's better, same. you know. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, okay. But I want to I want to finish this obligation discussion with a warning, all right? And this relates back kind of kind of calls back to what Will brought up in chat, and this is very important. And if you are listening, I want you to seriously listen to what I'm going to say. From close, personal, detailed, bad experiences, <laughs> avoid obligations that are about other player characters. Yes. There, yeah. yes. th- there is a serious temptation because it's easy to make your obligations about another a PC. This is a terrible idea, at usually, and it will often result in failed obligations. This is because obligations are supposed to be burdens. They're supposed to be things your character doesn't want to have and ultimately <clears throat> want to throw off and lose. That through the course of play, if the game is going correctly, they will lose. They will throw that monkey off their back. So like with Will's earlier example, it's like, you know, from from a, from a character standpoint, I understand narratively, ah, I don't want to be with these guys, but realize that if the GM's doing his job and lets you get rid of that obligation, your character's going to depart from the party. Okay. And, and that's never that's never a good thing. I mean, the, the more mundane examples of this, the ones I most commonly come across, Wookiee Bodyguard decides in a, in a very positive yeah. way that he's like, man, I'm going to link myself to another part member of the party. I'm going to have a life debt to this particular PC. Well, that's obviously going to be my obligation. No, no, that's a terrible obligation. Okay. So that's a motivation. That's a motivation. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's like, it's a terrible obligation because, because you, you, it's like, you know, the it's like, so what happens when that obligation goes away? I mean, do, do you not want to have that life debt anymore? Is it bumming you out? Do you, God, I wish I didn't have this stupid life debt. It's like, it's like, no, <laughs> it's, it's that, that, that's a motivation. Um, I've also seen obligation be, be family. I've had, I've had players come to me, come to me with the idea of, you know, like, un, like these two PCs will be like, okay, so we're brothers or siblings and basically she's going to play my kid's sister and I've got a freaking, you know, God, mom and dad, you know, they're dead and I had to raise her and look out for her. So I've got to bring her along on this adventure to keep her safe. And that's my obligation. And it's like, is it your obligation? I mean, narratively you can be, you can say, Oh man, this kind of sucks. But I mean, do you, do you really want to lose that bond with your sister? Do you want to lose that obligation? Is that something that, that you would want to get rid of? You know, that's something, that's something that I think is okay. If it's an NPC sister, but certainly not as a a PC. Yes, but not as a PC. No, because as an NPC, that obligation 
you can do all sorts of things with it. You can kidnap it. You can, I guess it harkens back to um, systems like Champions and whatever else where you've got dependent um, as, as a flaw. So, uh, you know, but if it's another PC, that makes it extremely awkward. More so, and this is sort of looking at it from a different angle, I guess, if for whatever reason that player decides they don't want to play anymore. Oh, it makes a yeah. lot of issues with retcon. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, what do you do with that? Yeah. Now, it, it's one of those things, and, and Will also says in chat, he had one of his his players that was obliged to his sister, um, that he wanted to take care of her, um, but they were PC, so she's going to do stupid shit, and he was, he was the character was basically stressed. Um, no. And, no. And it, it's like, look, I can... <sighs> The idea with family is obligation. Maybe the obligation is like, you know, when you lose that obligation in that instance, it's like, okay, my kid sister doesn't need me to look out for her anymore. Okay. I, I still love her. She's a part of the party and I want her, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not acting as that, you know, patronizing character anymore. I don't, I don't have to feel that stress. That's possible. But at the same time, obligation is supposed to be this negative thing. And do you really want to associate the negative part of your character, what your character really strives to lose with another PC? That's, mm. it's bad mojo. There's so. It, <sighs> there's, a, there's only problem. Sorry. I was going to say, look, we, we kind of, we actually kind of addressed this earlier when we talked about the idea of shared obligations for family where. You're obligate. It's you have two PCs, two you know their their family. They want a shared obligation. Make the obligation connected to what's causing tension in your relationship, not the mere existence of that family member. Yes. One word. One word. Firefly. Yes. Yes. That's a situation where obligation works perfectly between siblings. Because you've got the character who, uh, what was the character? I'm just now a summer glow. What's the um, uh, so the, a river, river River Tam and, river, her, river. and her, her brother Simon? River Tam, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So with River, she's got this obligation that she's this weapon, um, and uh, you know that's that's something which affects the party, and that's probably a, a good example. And it's probably, I think, maybe where they got the the whole notion of of the obligation thing from that. You know, she's wanted. So suddenly that uh, obligation is rolled for the session. So everybody knows that, oh, God, you know, the the, the empire's on our backside for yet again. So it's causing yeah. that sort of strain across the board. Like, listen, you, um, you better so. believe when Genesis comes out, I will be running a Firefly game. Okay? Yeah. It, <laughs> it's going to happen. And if Genesis doesn't have obligation, I don't care. I'm going to use it. And, and... Mm. And it's one of those things that that's an example we talked about earlier with family where those two characters share a criminal obligation. Mm -hmm. All right. They share a criminal obligation for the same reason yep. and the same root cause because they're family. Mm. Exactly. So that's where it works. That's yeah. where it works. Right. Yeah. So anyway. Obligation, the obvious choice to really help build this kind of party dynamic and camaraderie. What about crafting shared duties, guys? For those, for those, for those age of rebellion parties that they really believe in duty and they're using duty heavily. Um, I don't know if it's as media's obligation, but but is there is there ways that PCs can literally share the same duty and have that be a a good touchstone for the characters? 
Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, if two people pick the same duty, then you suddenly kind of wonder if you are um, uh, pursuing the same, like the exact same uh, task. And if you are, that's great because then you can create all kinds of sort of small interpersonal links between two characters who share the same duty because they're going to um, they're going to want to either maybe exchange tricks of the trade, you know, like they have, they can share knowledge, they can share experiences that bind them together um, based on what they're, you know, what they're doing. Hmm. I think probably as far as the, the duties go, the, um, the, the best one is support, I guess. Um, that um, it's kind of a bit of an oddball one, um, but um, it's, it's a great one for the PCs. Uh, and a party to have um, it keys in when you can um, help another character reach the potential or you know hit their duty. Um, another one is personnel, uh, which is uh, one that uh, in my age of rebellion game uh, we've got, and it always ends up being, well, did everybody survive? Um, <laughs> that uh, you know that's that's kind of, uh, I guess that kind of works as well. But um, yeah, it's yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, Sorry, go ahead. I, I think that it's it's hard for I think that it's hard of a duty uh, because there's that's kind of the core concept behind it that everybody is is has joined the rebellion for different reasons. But um, you know, uh, I think that because otherwise you, you tend to then water down um, another play, player's uh, duty um, by having everyone have the same or, or, or multiple characters have the same. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold on that idea. That's true. I mean, and and you, you generate, you generate less, uh, interesting drama, uh, from duty just because obligation is literally the cloud that's hanging over everyone's head. Uh, there's a, there's an, there's an emotional and a psychological aspect to that. Whereas duty, uh, in, in some cases just kind of like what, you know, what color uniform do you wear to indicate what you do for the Alliance? Hmm. He's got a red shirt. He's got a red shirt. Stay away from him. <laughs> um. uh, but I mean, you know, we did actually, uh, we discussed earlier that two characters don't have to get along to have a connection. And so if you've got something like uh, combat victory or aerial, uh, was it aerial superiority from the ACE book? Yeah. Um, you can actually, you can actually great, uh, create great party dynamics that result from from places of tension if they're handled well. You know, if you have two, if you've got a Maverick and you've got an Iceman, or you know, you have two characters who are who are kind of like your fighty characters, then they can throw in. You can you can create like a, a rivalry, and they can add in their banter or their bickering can be a mm. fantastic piece of a, you know, a color to a combat encounter. Dude, I mean, you think of uh, dude, yeah, like, uh, like, yeah, Legolas and Gimli. Legolas and Gimli is out. great, dude. Placard Hunter. Absolutely. Oh yes, the, yes. Th- that is that is an example. You have Iceman and you have Maverick. They both uh, seriously t- two guys that could have Placard Hunter and literally in combat. It's like it's like no, I'm going to get him. No, I'm going to get him. Get off my you know get off my wing. I mean, <laughs> that could be that could be a lot of fun. But you touch on and they're, they're bringing this up in chat too. My my big warning for duty and Huli, you know, you say you're not quite sold on it. Here's the problem with shared duty. If you're going to have shared duty, have a couple PCs, two, that maybe share a duty. Maybe one PC with the support duty. But the thing is, 
the party benefits more from having very diverse duties. Yes. Because, yeah. because there is, at that point, there is a greater chance every single session that they're, that they're going to, their, their group duty is going to increase. And, and thus mm-hmm. their contribution rank will increase. So you got to be a little wary exactly. of this. You got to be a little wary of this. Um, <laughs> the other thing too, if you, if your party's okay with the conflict of it, you can have fun and camaraderie by having conflicting duties. Okay, something like combat victory versus sabotage, okay, are two diametrically opposed duties. And it's like, you know, the team mm-hmm. is given a mission. How are you going to handle it? Are you going to go in there, show the full force of your colors, wave the rebel flag, and make a huge combat victory that gets posted all over the holonet? Or are you going to secretly go in there and blow up the installation, you know? Mm-hmm. Without people noting. And that that conflict between party, well, no, we should do it this way, we should do it this way. That's good role-playing fodder. And if handled weckly, correctly, can create a lot of fun cohesion for the party to have that kind of witty banter that you mentioned earlier, Fred. So. Great. Good. Yeah. Okay. So we've been talking about a lot of juicy, creamy stuff right now, right? We've been spreading <laughs> creamy peanut butter on the bread. Um, we've been talking about obligation and duty and backstories and motivation. Let's talk about something crunchy in this session zero mindset, building diverse party roles. This is something most experienced role players do instinctually, but I think it's worth actually thinking about. And it can probably be best summed up as the last player to the table is like, uh, crap, no one's made a healer. All right, I'm rolling up a cleric. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, th- th- that's really what it comes down to because like cohesive parties are going to go beyond the role-playing options to actually create characters in terms of careers and specializations and skill choices that gel together um, in terms of the abilities they can bring they, th- they can bring to bear and the roles they can fill. Um, so to talk about that, I have my opinion <laughs> of six core party roles that exist in the Star Wars universe. There are variations of these roles, but on the whole, I think it, these are six roles that can be had. And and often, um, I mean, the, th- the thing is, Often these roles are separated by career and specialization, but truthfully, with the way the XP buy system works in this game, any character can fill any niche, any of these roles, with enough XP. Um, Furthermore, it is not only uh, uh, possible, but entirely likely that a, a PC will often take on multiple of these party roles and be able to do them really well. But I think, I think for a, a really solid, your average campaign, all of these roles need to be filled. So... Let's talk. Let, let's go through these roles, guys. What are the common roles to be found in Star Wars role playing? Well, you know, the first one that comes, you know, at the top of uh, the top of my head, the top of the list, it's common amongst basically any game you'll ever play, and that is the tank. Uh, that is your that is your uh, slab man muscle rip hard body giant wall of beefcake between danger and everyone else he is tough or she uh usually a melee fighter usually either just tons of wounds uh, or tons of soak they are there to take damage and and put damage back out yep they are the fodder they are the barbarian 
Yep. Yes. <laughs> they are the they are the bodyguard. They are the uh the the vanguard. Okay. Mm. Um they, they they are uh God, what are some other good tank specs um in, in Star Wars? Um, I'm trying to think of the really good melee specs out there. There's the um Well there's the Guardian for a start. The Guardian is fantastic. Yeah. Um you know, but they're the tank. Um mm. it, it's a role, okay? Uh somebody can go in there and mix it up and and do that. Okay, so we have mm. the tank. What else do we have? Well, the the next one, which is always a a, a fun one, um, is the cannon. Yeah. Um, he's normally the one that's the the range person who's you know got the biggest guns uh, and can fire the best, uh, the biggest damage from a distance, and yeah, can um, just yeah take out when well, you have to kill every single last in the room. <laughs> I'll just self edit myself there. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah. So you know you've got things like the sniper. Um, yeah. What's a, what's a couple of other ones, Chris? The, the, gut, the, um, the heavy. The heavy. Oh, not a heavy, of course. And this I'm so, is heavy. my weapon. You know, and and honestly, it, it, it the cannon is also represented by the gunslinger. The gunslinger is another great can- yeah, another great cannon. I mean, your your guns are small, but you're getting off a lot of shots. Um, oh yeah. So so I mean yeah, but the idea is like you said, range badass. Now, following yeah. after that, we have the tank, we have the cannon, we of course have the face. Um, Your favorite. <laughs> my favorite. Um, actually, no, my favorite is the last one. Um, but oh. uh, the, the face is the face is the face. It's talky talk talk, talky talkity talk 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 talk. Um, you know, whether, whether that be, uh, you know, someone who's diplomatic or deceitful. Um, yeah. uh, either, or charming. Or charming. Or char- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 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 so whether, whether it's charm, deceit, leadership, um, it really, or, or or coercion. It really doesn't matter. That they're they're good at at, at those social interactions actions and succeeding when they can succeed. So, and I mean, Star Wars also provides a face uh, options that I've never seen in any other game. When you have uh, uh, specializations like the Agitator, mm-hmm. and you have the ability to throw strain, and you literally send minions, send stormtroopers running because you you know you <laughs> shouted at them. And, and said mean things to them. Your mama. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay, so the the tank, the cannon, the face. Next up. Oh, uh, that's easily the the tech because you're gonna you're gonna have the tech's gonna probably be considering you know you're you're dealing with a with a science fiction, uh, but you're not not just science sci fi because you'll see the tech shows up in a lot of other uh, uh, games if you have someone who's just good at engineering, fixing, repairing stuff. Uh, and mm. so you, because you need someone, you need someone who can slice. You need someone who, well, you, sometimes it's, it's good to have someone who can build, but you need someone who can repair because a damaged weapon makes uh, a cannon or a tank very, very sad. <laughs> yeah. To put it into, into fantasy um, uh, terms, it could also be the, the thief of the party. Yeah. As well, the skillful character. Um, right. uh, when when you when you get down to it, um, and in, yeah. in Star Wars, I, I don't I don't have the the thief or the scoundrel listed as a trope because typically, when especially in this game, when you when you break apart their abilities, they tend to fall between somewhere between the cannon and the face. Um, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, depending on which direction you've gone. D- depend, yeah, depending absolutely. on which direction you go, and that's one of the things I love about the system is that you can fill these roles in so many different ways. But the techie is is very important. 
So the tank, the cannon, the face, the techie. Number five is the pilot. The pilot. Definitely the pilot. So your your hand solo characters that um, uh, you know because we should all aspire to Hoban Washburn uh, <laughs> without the impalement, obviously. <laughs> um, That'd so, be nice. <laughs> Poor Wash. Um, but, yeah, so the the pilot, he's the one or she's the one that gets from point A to point B and gets the players where they need to be so that they can continue on for their next mission. Um, he's the transport, basically. Yeah. I find this to be very unique to a science fiction or a Star Wars setting, um, but it is it is a key, a key role. And we call it out as one of the six key roles in Star Wars because of the fact that it really almost is a dedicated path if you're going to do it well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there's so many different ways you can do that too. So many different ways. Um, now this leads me to the last role, which is my favorite, which is the support. We have the tank, we have the cannon, we have the face, we have the techie, we have the pilot, and we have the support. The support is very generic. Um, healing and buffing for the win to start with. Okay, so a doctor, a politico, um, but also the knowledge monkeys, to be quite frank. Um, and whether that be an analyst or a scholar, um, you know, but, but the idea is, so it's kind of the other end of the skillful character set, basically. Um, and, and, you know, that support character, which is actually my, you know, it's it's like, dude, in D and D I'm rolling up a cleric every single time. And if I'm not rolling up a cleric, I'm rolling up a bard. Um, that's just, that's just me. That's, that's my, that's my, that's my go-to character. I love playing support characters. Um, and, and support mixed with face. I'm a happy camper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so th- those are, those are the six key roles that we tend to see in star Wars. And you could say there are, you say, well, there's, there's the thief or maybe you can even, you could even subdivide the pilot into maybe we, maybe he's a wheel man versus a starfighter ace. Um, you could really break it down and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably some more, but in general, if you have those six things represented amongst the characters in the party, and again, some party members can fulfill multiple of those, um, you're going to have a cohesive party. Hmm. But this leads us, guys, to the key thing for, for session zero and planning correctly. Spread the roles out as best you can. A good group of party to have party cohesion. None of these players should be role hogs. Hmm. And I mean, you, there's, there is cross pollination amongst specializations or in careers in general that, you know, you can, you can splash a little bit into these different supports. Um, You know, sometimes someone is like, I am X, you know, I am pilot. You know, I've had players where they show up and they want to be the pilot. Um, And that's, that's okay. That's fine, you know. Like as as you just said, the pilot is one of those uh, uh, roles that really, really benefits from hyper specialization. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if you if you hog that role and you are incapacitated for whatever reason, you uh, you didn't show up to that session, or you got knocked out before the fight, and all of a sudden the party needs to fly, you know, into an asteroid field, then <laughs> then you know you're kind of putting that. You're kind of putting the, the party at a lurch because you weren't available for what would have other been otherwise been like a spotlight session for your character. Mm. 
Mm. And on the converse side, you don't want to make a character that is every role because you want to give the other players the ability to have that spotlight. You know what I mean? Mm. Exactly. It's like, it's like, I mean, yeah, I can, I, I GM Chris can craft a character right now with a hundred earned XP that can fill five of these roles. Okay. Yeah. I could do that, but it's a horrible idea. It's a horrible Mm. idea because not only, not only is that character not optimized for any of those roles, really. Um, but, but at that point, I'm always going to be the one jumping up to say, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And when you're talking about good group dynamic, the members of the party should be to an extent relying primarily on the other party members. Okay. Mm. Um, but at the same time, to Fred's point, you know, you want to have enough diversity to where people can step in as a secondary (laughs) when your primary is incapacitated or maybe didn't didn't show up to the session that night. Um. (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't think that you have to be a generalist, uh, even even to some degree, Like it's fine to be the, the fighty person or a particular uh, role in your group. If you have, you know, your group's like four or five people, then you get, you get to have those those spotlight scenes. You get to have your time to shine, which which are great fun. You know, those are those are really nice things to do for your players. Mm. Now, Will is in chat and he's asking a question. He says, "Isn't the but but isn't the beauty of Star Wars that you don't need to have a balanced party?" He's always felt you don't need to have each one of those six roles. Is that is that a fair is that a fair statement? Look, I, I think that it is a fair statement, but at the same time, you still want to have uh, holes that, uh, as a GM, that you can still, you know, hit them in the dumpster without sort of, uh, if you've got everybody basically being very, very focused on one particular area, you're hoping that there's going to be some sort of gap. Sure. Um, so uh, I think that what he's sort of pointing out um, is that, you know, yes, the system is designed so anybody could be anything that they want to be. Uh, but if you're talking about group cohesion, if you're talking about everybody relying on everybody else for whatever reason, that you just don't want that. You, you just don't want to not have people being specialized. It's, I guess it's a fine line uh, where you don't want to have everybody just be, you know, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Uh, you still want to have everybody be there, you know, have their niche, have their shtick to, to put it into feng shui terms, I guess. Right. And you can have your players take, I mean, they can all be one role. I mean, and it depends on the campaign. I'll be quite frank. If, if, if we're running a game where it's like, all right, guys, you are all members of Black Squadron, and this is going to be a Starfighter combat-focused game. <laughs> all right. I mean, yeah. I've done that. I've done that with Dragon Squadron. Okay. Um, that everybody's pilots. Everybody's um, pilot, but- And that's, that's fine. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But what we're saying is generally, on the whole, you're going to, you know, your, your, your party will, con- whether they're realizing it or not, they subconsciously understand these roles exist. And... Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it, it, all we're saying is, as a conscious action during session zero, making sure these roles are accounted for in the party and ideally spread out to a good degree will really help the party dynamic. Okay, mm. that's that's all we're saying. Yep. Okay. Well, guys, we talked about we've been rambling on now for for 
uh, about an hour and a half on this. Um, uh, and it's a big topic. It's, it's a, a very it's big a topic. Big... And I think that it's it's a massively important topic. It, it because is. This is the this is what the group is. Um, uh, you know, it's all very well and good to have a player um, being playing their character and whatever else, but they've got to survive in that group mm-hmm. um, because it's all about having fun. Last time I checked. <laughs> I, I yeah, you know, usually it can you, be. Usually, usually. <laughs> Depends on the player. Depends on the player, Huli. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't like those sort of players. <laughs> but I'd like to I'd like to round this conversation off by talking about everything we've talked about so far has been session zero stuff. Okay, we've talked about why it's important to have this kind of party cohesion and why it's important to think about this. And then everything we've talked about up till now has been ways to prepare for this, to, 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 to really gel the group's backstories and motivations and obligations and moralities um, and duties and gel their party roles and the choices they've made. I want to talk about ways we can build group dynamic with a good party in play. Besides having those shared backgrounds, those linked obligations, there are other ways in real games, <laughs> post-session zero, that players and GMs can go above and beyond throughout their continued campaign play to foster the group dynamic in their sessions. Mm. And we have some ideas. We have some concepts. Um, what, what do we got? Because we have, we have a couple good ideas here. Okay. So we've got... I guess the I love this concept. It's the vignette. Is that how you pronounce it? The vignette. Um, I think it's vignette. The vignette. Vignette. That's yeah. it. That's not sorry. It's, it's, it's I'm French. Saying. That's I'm French. Australian. That's what I'm going to go back to. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's so, like that's how we pronounce it in Australia. It's 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 vignette. It's vignette. That's what we call it. We All get, right. to, we get so together with Russ and Shrimp on the Barbie, right? <laughs> you do very very well, Chris. <laughs> So the the basic idea is that it's a cut scene of a role-playing nature in the session. Uh, players will spend a lot of downtime either on board a ship or um, hiding out. Um, and the GM can encourage players to describe their, their little idiosyncrasies. Call it a um, uh, what we do in our campaign. We would call it a bubble episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, And we've had an, run an entire session in, in that sort of nature where something happens on a ship um it's it's probably highlighted best i guess in, in star trek where they they don't go anywhere they just all of their adventure happens on board the ship because something malfunctions you know the uh, and does something whether it be a holodeck episode or whatever else it's probably a bad example because they could go anywhere but um those little idiosyncrasies um that um you know can can amuse or or annoy players can come into the fore then um so uh, you know sometimes it, it's fun to discuss what sort of things actually happen during the wipe or the the next scene that sort of thing as well yeah i think uh, in uh, television they refer to that as a as a bottle episode a, sh- a ship yeah, in a bottle yeah. um and just having these scenes from I mean it's just it's it might be just how I GM or how I, I engage with with GMing. It can be so entertaining to just have a scene or scenes where you don't have to do anything. Oh, you just kind of you yes. set everything up and you're like, <laughs> and go. And the players, you know, they're they're doing whatever. They're interacting. They're 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 doing. They're, they're going about their various day to day activities on their ship. You know, as their ship is taking two weeks to travel across the galaxy and you just get to 
sit there and watch people, and then and people just get to interact as their characters with all the the little things that they do, and it's it's so much fun. Mm. I mean, probably in Star Wars, the best example of that, and it's and it's a sort of a a, a very small version. I um, mean, other than what we see sometimes in Rebels. Uh, where there's little adventures that, that go on in the ghost. But even uh, with The Empire Strikes Back, when they were trying to fix the Falcon while they're um, you know, chasing, being chased by the Empire, you, you, see a lot, uh, you see a lot more interaction between 3PO and Han and uh, the, the Leia-Han sort of that, uh, that romance building there, that sort of thing, that comes out. And you can certainly bring that uh, into a role-playing scenario by having that vignette. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Sometimes your players are more kind of mechanically motivated. They're not really aiming for uh, the, the role-play interaction. And in that case, you can use mechanical advantages. You can, you can say, uh, you know what? You're going to award a duty bonus. You're going to give them plus one wound threshold for the scene or for the, for the, the session if – you know, they take time to do something cohesive as a group, whether they're uh, swapping war stories or they're, you know, they're going to make a meal, you know, like they, they're actually going to cook a meal together, eat, sit down like a family and, mm. and just chat. And you're like, sweet, have a mechanical benefit or flip a destiny point to give to give you as players a tangible uh, reward for, for doing that. Mm. The, the the duty bonus well, the duty bonus that you get of plus one wound threshold, um, mm. for the group, great reward for having a short vignette scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. The and and going back to Firefly, how often do we see that in Firefly where they're on oh. the ship, they just get together and have <laughs> dinner, all right, and they yep. they rib each other and shoot the shit and. And it, it creates this group cohesion, and I, I love it. And Huli, uh, I believe uh, in chat they've discovered the reason for your difficulty with the word vignette. It's vignette, not Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, oh, very funny. We, we understand. Very, very funny. We understand. <laughs> so, okay, I, I, I really, I'm a huge fan of this vignette concept. I, I, good groups will do it where they have these downtime moments. And to Fred's point, a smart GM will mechanically reward it. Um, I'm a huge fan of the idea of the control of, of what, what we call the controlled outburst. <laughs> All right. People fight, friends argue, interpersonal conflict. It's, it's an, it's a natural part of social interaction. Um, and what is it you said, uh, Keith Kappel noted earlier, uh, that what Star Wars is about people bitching in space, right? Bitching in space. Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, and if you look at the films, uh, I mean, Star Wars is rife with just full-on shouting matches between characters who are or, or will become lifelong companions. Um, I am not a committee. You know? <laughs> I am not a committee. Um, those scenes are obviously mm. scripted, but but <laughs> if the story needs them to make up, you know, at, at, at the end of the scene, then they shall. PCs are a bit different, um, <laughs> being essentially an extension of a real person's ego um, whose, whose actions are, are, are dictated by the player in real time. So the thing is though, you got to be a little careful, but this can be incredibly fun. And I've had some good players do this. A real testy fight um, between two or more PCs can really make for some of the more memorable role-playing stories that you're, you're ever going to experience. Um, mm. But if you do this, I think some care 
needs to be taken so that actual relationships aren't damaged in the process. Yes. And, you know, I would, I would add, uh, add on to that, that kind of like the reason that we're discussing this under the, the category of the group dynamic, as opposed to like individual players and, and their role playing is that when you have, when you have a, a group, when you have, you know, sort of a pseudo family, uh, the responsibility is ultimately going to be on the group to deal with the fallout of, of a nasty fight uh, among its members. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Um, and obviously, you know, you want to make sure that you that your players are comfortable uh, leaving their personal ego at the door uh, and that they don't internalize uh, their or another character's actions. Um, and, and, and they don't uh, kind of take any of that uh, with them. Mm. And I think that that's something that, that, I don't know, this may be another show topic uh, again, but I think that it's still important when you have situations like that which can get a little bit heated and they're absolutely amazing to watch. And as you said before, Fred, that you can you can get to the stage of, as a GM, you just sit back and just watch it happen. Um, you have to have a debrief at the end yeah. of the session. You have to talk about, well, wasn't that scene cool? So that you can take that edge off it. If you have that situation where people are really and they're really getting into their characters, you uh, you run the risk of that sort of turning in to something a lot more. So if you have that debrief at the end, people can say, wasn't that fun? Could we have done that sort of thing? And and almost do it like you would if you'd just gone to see a movie, that, that you break it down. Yeah, decompress. Just decompress. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, light, lighten, the, lighten the mood. Absolutely. Mm. And the thing is, like, a fight between characters should always try and loop in whatever the overlapping conflict or motivation those players decided on at session zero is. That fight needs mm. to be a part, that, that that controlled outburst needs to be a part of their overall character arc. You know, they picked these motivations and these conflicts, presumably with some sort of future catharsis in mind. Um, mm. my, my, the, the, my, my wife and Brev do this when we play all the time. And there was, there, there was one point where their characters were related and it was a really heated scene. And, uh, Brev's character who's, who his conflict was, was dealing with the really crappy family history he'd had in related, in relation to my wife. Um, he was doing some pretty awful stuff. He was like torturing someone she cared about to get information because he thought he was a spy. And at one point, so she, her character goes down and walks in on them. And the two of them are literally screaming at each other across this table. And like everyone's staring wide eyed. And I've, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I got my eyebrow raised and I literally interrupt. I'm like, Hey guys, guys, let's, let's keep it calm. And they both in unison turn, look at me and they're like, no, we're cool. We're, we're, it's okay. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, proceed. And then they both turn back and like, and I can't believe that you, got and it was, it was, it was totally, you know, in character and they were having an absolute ball with it. But those two players knew that, that this wasn't personal, that this was part of the game. And that yeah. remains for our group. One of the more memorable stories we tell ever having played. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. It's a, it is a pleasure to watch and when it happens, it, it's for sure. We had something very similar uh, recently. I won't go into the nitty-gritty about it. But, yeah, when you've got characters and you've got players who are mature enough that they're there for the drama, they're there for the story, uh, it can make massive inroads into strengthening 
uh, ties between characters. Um, you can have situations where sometimes uh, one player, you know, at the end of that interaction, that they, nothing's resolved, but then you have input from some of the other characters that will, you know, they'll call a scene uh, between characters uh, later on down the track to say, hey, look, that um, interaction that happened before, you know, what's, and the, they end up almost taking sides. You can almost have like a split ship that has, uh, you know, you've got one people taking the side of the Jedi and the other one taking side of um, uh, of the smuggler. I'm not saying that that happened to me at all, but it did. <laughs> um, and that, so, you know, that sort of thing just adds to that drama. And that's, that's, that's one of the reasons reasons why I like to role play is for that drama. But yeah, you do have to be very, very careful. Right. And you know, it's, you hate to admit it, but like those kinds of scenes when you're, when you're in them, like if you get in a, just a, a, a nasty, just arguing, a shouting match with another person, it does feel kind of good. Cause it's, you know, it's, you are simulating a form of stress relief that mm. people naturally yeah, go through. So you, you get, a, you get a little bit of that, that, that endorphin high off of having <laughs> this, this, the, uh, uh, play, argument yeah exactly there's there's only probably one thing that that i'd like to mention in, in regards to that though um and it's it's something that i've found that can sometimes ruin the moment and it's something that hollywood has been doing lately and it just drives me mental uh and that's that if you've got a serious moment try to get your players not to interrupt yeah because that and that's sort of because that that goes down to the enjoyment of the game. Some players, as as you mentioned, Chris, with um, uh, with Krista and, and and Brev, they've obviously you know they know themselves well enough, and they really get into the moment. But there's nothing worse than having um, a another player go. You know, they'll they'll lighten the moment, um, which you know it may be their own. You know, psychologically speaking, it may be their own way to to relieve that stress because there's something that's happened that is a bit of a trigger point for them in real life. Um, so this is why those sorts of things have to be, you have to be a bit careful. But I just think that try to sort of, and I guess it goes back way back even before session zero as a GM setting down those expectations. And I can't, I think if there's one thing that I've learned from this podcast is setting those expectations right from the get-go that you don't interrupt if there is a scene that someone's called and it's really quite dramatic you know if if it's too much for you maybe it might be time to you know go and make a coffee or something like that without sort of disturbing that scene uh that's just something that that sometimes irritates me a little bit when that happens this is yeah this is really good um really good advice um but these are these are all things. These are all good things to consider. Mm. And you know, I hope I hope we've given the gamer nation some really good tips and tidbits of of how to really push this interaction forward and create that cohesion in a positive light. I you know okay I said I said I wanted to finish our conversation by talking about how we can do this in play, but maybe maybe we can finish this discussion with this because this is I guess it's still in the same vein, guys. I do more one-shots and convention games than any campaign games. That's just me as a GM and the role I happen to inhabit as the host of this podcast, okay? Hmm. By far, over half the games I play are one-shots, okay? Um, how does this work at a con? <laughs> 
I mean, one, one, well, sh- one shots don't give you the time or the opportunity to have a session zero, and PCs are typically pregens. I mean, there's no, is, there's no investment. How can you accomplish this dynamic in that setting? Oh, you can make it work. Oh, look, one thing, like the the game that I ran, Soul Child, at um, Game of Nation Con 3, um, I think that one of the things that I did with that is on the character sheet, you have character connections. And then it lists each one of the, the, the characters that are going to be in the scenario. And it just has to say it in a couple of sentences, what that what your connection is to that character. And I think that if, if you can, you don't even need a backstory, then you can link it into the backstory. But that character connection right from the get-go, so that there's that buy-in straight away. And if you need, if you need like an incentive, I mean, you're you're putting together a convention game. You're you're going to be like sort of cheating the character sheet a little bit just for this for your own sanity. Mm. Um, and you can you can throw in a mechanical benefit. You know, if you have two characters that have a you know uh, a bond, if if you have the sort of quintessential Wookiee with the life debts to the to the roguish scoundrel, just throw in where you know where you would have the, the talent entries or whatever how your character sheet is set up have it you know gain a boost die anytime you make a skill check while you're protecting uh the scoundrel's life as a result of this life debt so you just mm. you throw little morsels at those players so they go you know aha if i play as this character as it's designed i i am better at playing the game mm. so are you guys familiar with um with my my set of three modules, Forgotten, the Amnesia set. Oh my god! I yes. have I heard that. a ton about them. Yeah. Well, you need to go to D twenty first. Go ahead, Holly. It was the first. It was the first um, game that I ever ran. Um, oh wow! For, uh, in the system, so I've I've fell in love with it for a couple of reasons. One thing is that everybody was on the same page, and this is probably what you're getting at, Chris. Is that everybody was on the same page, and that they'd lost their memory. So that was, even though that that's just sort of like a fairly airy fairy concept, it's still something that everybody has gone. Why are we all here? We seem to have lost our memory. Um, so that that brought the whole party together. It was like this this one thing that um, drove them all throughout the entire game. Yeah, and there are things. There are things I, I did very intentionally in the creation of that module that that are designed to create that cohesion in a situation where it's pr- literally impossible to have background related cohesion. Okay, and and these are these are other things too. So in and and by the way, Fred, if you haven't read it, I, I rec- if you go to d20radio.com, you can actually along with our free content, you can download it all of it. Oh, um, do it. Do I it. Do that. Um, and if if you want to run an awesome twelve hour event for your players, you can run them through all three sessions. But <laughs> like like Chris Hunt did was that Chris Hunt who did he, that he, one he of the did he cons? did and I did it at Gamer Nation Con too. Um, uh, and then Chris Chris has also done it, I believe. But you the crazy bastards. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it was kind of it was kind of insane. But there was a few things I did. The, fir- the first was when, when, the, when, the, when the action starts in media res, these guys have lost their memories, but they're inside of a bank vault, okay? Mm. And literally they're – I described the scene, and the way the description works is these guys have no memories, but their actions are 
already establishing some connection between them. So, mm. you know, one character who, and in, 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 you know, in pre amnesia, you have two characters that are deeply in love and are, are, are wed. Okay. Um, but they obviously don't know this. And so you have the male, uh, in that, in that couple who's on the floor with a black eye, he's got his arms raised. You have another character who's literally pointing a blaster at him. And then you've got the female, his, his spouse who has both guns drawn pointed at the character who's drawing down on him. And both of her safeties are off. Okay. Um, on both of her pistols while the character who's drawing down on the, the guy on the floor, her safety is on, you know, and they're all pointing guns at each other, but they're pointing at different people. They're protecting certain people. So they have no idea who, what their memories are and what their backgrounds are, but they can, they can, part of the fun of that is starting to suppose and assume connections based on those actions. Um, additionally, a lot of the characters had little items on their character sheet, little parts of their equipment inventory that linked them together <laughs> in interesting ways that they, they, they could figure out. The Wookiee. Uh, dear. The Wookiee in particular. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's very interesting. And, and these are, these are things you can do. And the point, the point I'm trying to make is that, even even in a pre-gen module that you know where players have lost their memory, there are ways to craft a story to create this connection. And obviously, what Fred and Huli mentioned, there's ways mechanically that you can encourage it. And so, you know, all good suggestions, all good suggestions. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I think we've beat this horse to death. Um, <laughs> good discussion. I like that. Very yeah, very good discussion and a marvelous show topic suggestion, Fred. Thank you. Um, um, I know it's, inc- I, like I know, yeah. I know it's, I know it's like past 11 o'clock where you are, Fred. Um, uh, do you I'm have, still good. are you yeah, still, you still good? good? All right. You're good. Yeah. And, and Huli, it's getting close to lunchtime for you, isn't it? It's one fourteen PM after lunchtime. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm living in the future. You're living in the future, <laughs> a day in the future, the future. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Well that, do you guys want to want to, I think we have time maybe for uh, two questions, maybe for messages from the edge. Yeah. Sounds good. All yeah. right. Let's do it. He doesn't seem to take a hint. This guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. All right, welcome to Messages from the Edge, our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. How can you get us these questions? A couple easy ways. You can travel to our forums and post it up uh, d20radio.com. Click on the forums button on the right-hand side of the page or just head to d20radio.com slash forums. Uh, register, head to the Order 66 podcast board. You'll find a dedicated messages from the edge thread. You can also email your questions, GM Chris, GM Dave, or GM Phil at d20radio.com, or you can post them up on the Order 66 podcast Facebook page. You can also, if you're brave enough, leave us the questions via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline. That's 262-D20-RADIO, 262-320-7234. Um, okay. So, Fred, would you be kind enough to relate to us our first question of the evening? All right. Uh, Our first question tonight 
as a doozy from Lord Annoyed, love it, uh, with some two-weapon fighting quandaries. Uh, he says, when using two-weapon combat, can you use one weapon, move, and then use another weapon if you roll high enough? For example, let's say I throw a bola at short range and tie this guy up, ensnaring him. Then I come running over and punch him so hard in the head that he drops to the ground. Uh, special abilities aside, I'm firing range light, moving, and then using brawl. Uh, I was thinking of ma uh, making this a thing to build up to, uh, but wanted uh, my GM's input as to whether or not he'd allow it. Uh, he said no, because you get a move and an action within the round, uh, which, as long as he stays consistent, I have no problems with. That just seems like D&D uh, mentality. And were I running a campaign, I'd allow it because it's very cinematic. Uh, that scenario would require a crazy amount of advantage uh, or maybe a few triumphs to pull off. Interesting. Um, well, okay, Lord Annoyed, you got some questions here. First of all, I think, guys, and I think you would agree with me, it goes without saying that his GM is his GM. Yeah, um, he the boss. He the, bo he, the boss. He the boss, man. If he makes a ruling, them's the breaks. You gots to go with it. Um, and I don't want you screaming to your GM that, well, you're wrong, and the Order 66 podcast says blah, 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 blah. Um, which, uh, as, as credible as we are. Yes. Play this recording for him. Yes. And and based on, based on what you wrote, Lord Annoyed, I don't think that you would ever do that, because um, that's bad news. Um, now, having said that, uh, I think the advice we're about to give you is something you could go to your GM with and say, hey... Um, your ruling is your ruling, and I'm totally going to abide by it. You're the GM. But I was hoping maybe I could present you with some ideas. Maybe you could consider them. Okay? And let's mm. talk about what those are. Um, first off, by the rules as written, your GM is 100% correct. He is totally correct. Um, in a limited capacity, at least. Uh, the details of two-weapon combat, um, and because it's the core rulebook closest to me, Force and Destiny, page 217, dictate that a two-weapon attack is a single action. And you can't split up a single action into its constituent parts unless you got a wicked talent or something like that. Um, so as a primer for our listeners, uh, who may need a reminder on two-weapon combat outlined on page 217, it's pretty clear. Three steps. One, you assemble the dice pool, depending on the two weapons you're using, or, or rather the skills that govern each of those weapons. Um, you take the worst characteristic of the two skills and the worst ranks in the two skills to make your pool. This is why most two-weapon fighters use duplicate weapons or weapons that use the same skill. <laughs> um, uh, you Step two, you take the worst difficulty of the two attacks, uh, base. Um, another reason that people often use the same skill, um, uh, you know, and then you increase your attack difficulty, uh, by plus one, if the two weapons use the same skill and plus two, if the two weapons use different skills, uh, and step three, you make the check with the increased difficulty. And then if you roll to advantage, you can spend them to get a hit with the secondary weapon. Um, and both hits go against the same target unless you possess the wickedly awesome Spitfire talent. Um, mm -hmm. yep. Gunslinger. Point, mm. Gunslinger, it's amazing. Um, the point, Lord Annoyed, is that it's all one action. Uh, and as your GM says, you get up to two maneuvers per turn and one action. That's it. Now, having said that... <laughs> um, there's always the but. There's always the but. Um... As a GM, I would totally let you pull off your maneuver in the middle of, of the action if 
you rolled another two advantage. Why? Because this is actually reasonably covered in the rules. Uh, page 212, Force and Destiny Core Rulebook, Table 6-2, the suggested uses of advantage and triumph in combat. Um, mm. You can spend two advantages or triumph to get an immediate free maneuver. Um, as long as you're not over your two maneuver per turn limit. So honestly, yeah, for four advantage to, or two advantage and a triumph or two triumph, I would let you activate your second hit and get a free maneuver before delivering it. I think that's perfectly within the rules. Um, hmm. The deeper question, guys, is does he even really need to do this? <laughs> other than dramatic flair, maybe? I mean, other than dramatic flair, I mean, I mean, if you, if you take, like, his bolo unarmed attack scenario, he's forced to use the worst difficulty of the two. So it doesn't matter that your ranged light is one purple at short range with the bolo. If you're making a two-weapon attack and your second weapon is the unarmed attack, you're going to be forced to use two purple dice because that's the worst difficulty. And if you're attacking with a bolo ranged light weapon and engaged range, guess what the difficulty is? Two, two purple, purple dice. Two purple. <laughs> okay. So there's really no benefit to tossing the bolo at short range at all. Um, not only would you be forced to gain four advantage to pull off your trick, um, you would do just as well to engage with the guy, toss your bolo at engaged range, tie him up, and then just get two advantage to punch him. Just my You know, it's funny, it's funny cents. that he mentions the kind of the D&D mentality, because I think there's actually, uh, there's something else at play, uh, across the board in, in combat for, for Star Wars. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be misremembering, but I believe that uh, a round of combat in FFG Star Wars is supposed to cover a minute in in actual time. Uh, it, whereas D&D for ages and ages and ages has said that uh, combat, a single round of combat takes place within six seconds. <laughs> yeah. And so when you are when you are in a combat encounter in D&D, when you take your turn, your two maneuvers and one action uh, in, in Star Wars, you are not picking you're not aiming your gun and firing one shot like you are moving you are exchanging multiple rounds of fire with your enemy and then at the end of you know when all of that plays out they've taken some damage or you've missed or you've caused you know with with triumph and advantage you've caused some other ancillary effects yeah. uh and so this idea that you know can i throw my bolo and then move up and then hit him with the other attack sure but it didn't require all this other stuff. Like your, your single combat check, your single melee combat check could be reasonably cinematic, but you did all of that stuff. Mm. And it just, it just resulted in this one, a single, you know, damage effect on your target. It's, it's almost like you are reskimming the role effectively. Yeah, it's, yeah. The mechanics is one thing, but the way that you describe it is exactly how he's talking about. So it's not, making it more complex than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it just, it happens the way that it happens, how you describe it. That's the, that's an, uh, the nature of the narrative dice system. So to, to, to put, to put this in perspective and, and, and re-explain what you just said in another way, using his example, um, on your turn, you move into engaged range, you do a dual weapon attack with the bolos and then your fist, but you miss with the fist. You don't, you don't generate enough advantage to advantage to pull off the punch, okay? 
uh, that's what you did from an action economy standpoint. You can describe that narratively as, I rush towards him, and before I engage, I hurl the bolo at him, and then race up after he's been entangled to hit him with the fist. You just happen to miss the punch, okay? And yeah. that's that's the narrative. Yeah. That's the narrative, yeah. regardless of, of what your actual economy of, of action was. And these guys bring up a good point. And Fred, I think I remember that one minute thing. I think that's a little ridiculous for one round of combat, but sometimes it's not. Um, I mean, like, right. sometimes it's not. I don't even think about it in time terms at this point. I'm so inert in the narrative. And if players are like, mm. well, how long does each round take? I'm like, I don't know. Who cares? It's like, why does it matter? <laughs> it takes a minute. Yeah. It takes 10 seconds. It's whatever. It's a round. I always go by um, uh, like comic books, effectively. That how long's the turn? A page. A page. You yeah. know how long? How long is my action? Um, a panel. Yeah. You know, it's that makes it so much easier to to explain to players that it, it's not a time frame. You know, it's yeah. it's just whatever you can fit into that small panel or whatever you can fit into a page. That's yeah. Yeah. Makes sense to me. I mean, fighting fighting minions kind of necessitates that that sort of narrative space as well because if you if you're fighting a group of minions and you do enough damage you're killing you know or, or disabling multiple minions and i guess some people play it as like a single shot kind of plowed through three stormtroopers but at the same time it's perfectly viable for you to say like i just i dove into a crowd of stormtroopers and was dancing around left and right throwing throwing punches yeah mm, exactly. absolutely absolutely so to answer your question, ultimately, Lord Annoyed, um, I mean, pure raw, your GM's right, but if you generate two advantage, you should be able to get a free maneuver, and he should probably accept that, but again, it's his call, you need to go by his call, but even then, do you even need to do this in the first place? Narratively, you, you don't need to, and mechanically, you really don't even need to. So, I don't know, think about it. Hopefully our advice has confused you less. <laughs> um... um it's interesting though. you guys talk about this, you know, as we talk about this tactical versus narrative mentality, and, and even then, that was kind of Lord Noid's thing. It's like, you know, this is the smacks of a D&D mentality, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the, I talked to a lot of people going to Gen Con this year, and one of my, one of my gaming heroes, one of my icons in the industry, you, are you guys familiar with Robin D. Laws? Oh my God, yes. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Robin's, you know, obviously his infamous Robin's Guide to Good Game Mastering, you know, back, you know, yes. you know, OG. Yes. Um, but Robin is a, pro a prolific RPG producer. I got the chance to interview him once, uh, for D20 Radio, um, when he released Hill Folk a few years ago. Um, you know, he, he released Feng Shui. He's got so much under his belt. And Robin is, is such a luminary. One of the things he said coming out of Gen Con 50 is he said, he was, everyone was talking about how amazing this show was. And he says, I feel like as an industry, he said, we've leveled up. Like, <laughs> like we've all yeah. hit, like we've all hit level nine now, and we all are collectively deciding how to advance our characters. And yeah. the industry as a whole is, and things come in phases, seems to be moving. The narrative RPG is now in the zeitgeist, and everyone is starting to understand that this is kind of the games that people really want to play. Um, mm. You know, despite all the grogs screaming people are starting to move away from that really heavy tactical mindset. And mm -hmm. it, it's a struggle for a lot of people. I think it, I think it really, really is. Um, you know, we, we even did an episode on this and, and switching players mm -hmm. over from that D 20 mindset. 
it's a it's a big struggle for a lot of people, and that that narrative description, both for yourself and your GM, is something you got to work for. You got to really play a lot. It, it's hard for a lot of people to get accustomed to. Um, mm. One of the things that came out of Gen Con fifty, I would recommend to anyone listening. Um, I have yet to get it on the table, but I bought it. Um, there's an RPG. It's literally called the Index Card RPG. That's what it's called. <laughs> And, um, this guy, this guy started making, um, these beautiful, wonderful black and white images that can be printed out on index cards, um, and that you download in PDF. And they, you know, uh, here's a horde of goblins. Here's a mystical gate. Here is a trap. Here is a well. Here is, uh, an evil mountain. Here is an ogre chieftain. Okay. Hundreds of these cards. And the idea is he started doing this because when he was playing D&D, he wanted to get away from the tactical mindset. And so instead of having a grid with a bunch of, of pieces moving on it, he would just put out these cards that had these different challenges. Oh, here's the locked door in the room. Here's the goblin chieftain. Here's his horde. Here's the mystical shaman. Oh, here's the trap of the scythe that's swinging through the room. Here's the mechanism to disarm it. And he would just put these cards out there and literally have his players move his minis between these cards. Okay, I'm engaging with this threat now. I'm dealing with this now. Okay, I'm moving to this. Okay. And almost as a way to shoehorn narrative play into what is traditionally a very tactical system. Um, mm. That's kind of brilliant. Yeah. That's, that is good. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's something I really want to do for Star Wars. I love using maps in Star Wars, but even then, it, it, we, we've talked about this before, it takes training to get that map to where it's not a tactical map. Okay. It's just, mm-hmm. and the, the whole, the whole, the range band discussion comes into it. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, Seriously, he actually advanced this concept. He's got like three volumes of those cards out on Drive Through RPG. He advanced it recently into a full RPG he designed, which is incredibly mm-hmm. narrative and is designed around this index card concept. So index cards for your threats, index, you know, your encounters, a group of index cards. Your character sheet is an index card, okay? And there's like, like, like the, the game covers fantasy and sci-fi, and there are nine classes for each setting, basically. And... I don't know. If you guys want to take a bite into something unusual, just as an mm. aside, I highly recommend the index card RPG. So at least it's a damn good read. Just, yeah, very just, cool. just on that note, if, uh, if anybody was basically saying, Oh, you know, uh, D and D or Pathfinder can't, you can't train people to do that. Um, oh, I go back no. and it's something that I even still use in star Wars is uh, Pathfinder or Paizo they release chase cards, mm-hmm. which are exactly that concept. It, it just has you de- have, have a different environment that you lay out on the on the table and the players put their minis on that. So that's the same sort of concept, but it's Pathfinder without using, you know, six square grids or, or whatever else. It's just very simple. And I found my players when I did it, even using Pathfinder, that uh, they just – were drawn to it so uh, this concept it marries straight into that so yes that's awesome yeah very cool um okay we got time for one more question Huli, what is our next question tonight yes, all right so our next question tonight comes in uh, via email from mandalore rex uh who is uh, curious about gaining a force rating he writes 
Hello, Order 66. I'm emailing to ask about my character concept. Well, sort of. My group all go to school together and we are starting a new game once school starts again. Uh, We will be playing each week during the free period, which is cool. Our choir teacher will be our GM. I so love that teacher. Um, I really want to make a bounty hunter who becomes a Jedi and learns that he has the power of the Force as we play. I wanted to go Gadgeteer, take another specialization in the Force and Destiny books, but the GM says that this won't work, that I won't get a Force rating that way. This doesn't make sense to me. How can I make the character I want to play? Please help. Thank you. And I never, ever, ever listen to the Order 66 podcast. Um, well, Mandalore, first off, I have to say, I think it's really awesome. You guys are going to get to play at school. That's really cool. Um, and your teacher, as Huli said, deserves a big freaking medal. Absolutely. For shepherding you guys through this game, being your GM. Um, now as to your question, sir, unfortunately your, your teacher, your GM is actually correct. Uh, per the rules as written, um, and numerous developer clarifications, uh, <laughs> the the only way to get a Force rating is to begin play with your first career as a Force and Destiny career, um, or to cross-specialize into either the Force-sensitive Exile or Force-sensitive Emergent Universal Specializations. Now, mm-hmm. the reason this works this way, young man, is because of game balance. Um, being force sensitive is a very, very powerful thing (laughs) and it gives you access to special powers and other abilities that other characters don't have and can never dream of having. Um, now in exchange for that, um, the careers that begin with force ratings, those in the force and destiny line, uh, they have restrictions that other careers don't have. Uh, for starters, you don't get as many free skill ranks when you start in a force and destiny career. Um, Next, the talent trees for those specializations in Force and Destiny are structured in such a way that it can take a bit longer to get some really cool abilities. And that's actually been very intentionally designed. Um, This keeps the Jedi players balanced compared to non-Jedi characters. Now, you don't have to start as a Force and Destiny career, but to keep balanced, to keep it from being too good to quickly cross-spec into a Force and Destiny specialization and suddenly just gain a Force rating, you are forced to first cross-spec into one of those two universal specializations. Now, Hmm. as to make your character concept, young man, there are still several paths available to you. Uh, First of all, you don't have to start in the Bounty Hunter career. You can be a Bounty Hunter without being in the Bounty Hunter career. (laughs) You can you can start in a force yeah. you can start in a force and destiny career and specifically I mean for me the two that come to mind in the core book are the um uh the the seeker's hunter um and the warrior's aggressor both make two very differently flavored yeah. but excellent bounty hunters yep. um and then you can even cross spec into an actual bounty hunter specialization later on. Um, also, you could start in Gadgeteer and then just cross-spec into one of the Universal Talent Trees, still stay true to your character concept, and just stay there. I mean, the Force-sensitive Emergent is actually a really great tree. Um, it's an amazing oh, tree. It's really good. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. And it's got some very useful talent options that would be very useful to a bounty hunter character. The important thing is to focus on having fun and enjoying the game. So I hope that advice helps a little bit. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on this? I mean, you you bring up like a tremendous point. That's I mean, it, it's not just Star Wars. It's any game that has uh, 
um, like a siloed class design, you know, character design where you are, you are start as a thing, you start as a bounty hunter or a smuggler or what have you that, you know, those, those are named in such a way that, that you, you're like, well, what does that class do? Oh, a bounty hunter. Like that inspires in your mind, all the sorts of things that, 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 that type of character will do, but you do not have to be the thing that, 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 that type of character is called. Like you do not have to be uh, a literal soldier in a standing military just because you took the soldier career. Mm. Yep. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. I love getting. I love getting. Uh, I first of all, I love. The, I love it when when I find out that students, especially, listen to this show. Um, and I love, I love hearing, hearing stories of students who, you know, you know, pe- people pre-college that are <laughs> pre-university that are, that are playing and really getting into this. Uh, it does my heart good. Um, but I kind of, I just, I just, that's okay. um, I just love it when kids get involved in role playing. Yeah, abso- it's, um, absolutely. Oh, it's, because it's so it, it means that the, the hobby that we've loved, you know, um, I'm the same as Fred. I've loved it since I was in what grade nine. I think I was first introduced to it, and my son now plays. Uh, he's uh, he does have uh, a learning disability um, and uh, has difficulty with because he's got dyslexia and a few other things. But I've managed to get him involved in a in a game that I'm playing, so that uh, I can sort of help him through, and he comes up with some better ideas that I can come up with. And it's, it's just great. It's so good. I it's love it. It's such a, such a great tool for, for teaching or interacting with kids or helping kids socialize. I mean, I know when, like when I was young, uh, RPGs were still coming out of like the stigma of the late eighties, early nineties. Oh, yes. And yes. so like it, you, you could, you couldn't play them in schools or anything like that. I think that because we're getting past all of that silliness and we're now in this kind of this, new golden age uh, of the, you know, new design uh, uh, for RPGs that we can really start using them to engage, especially with students, with young students. There certainly isn't that barrier anymore than what there used to be. And, you know, let's face it, we can thank things like Game of Thrones, like (laughs) all of the Marvel movies, that being nerdy is no longer a bad thing. It's just everybody's entitled to have their interest. And I think that's a... Uh, you know, forgetting the rest of the world and the way that the bigotry is going. But, um, you know, for the most part, especially when it comes to to the gaming community, people are just more accepting. And I think that as we all have that geekdom and we can see, we can thank the things like uh, Comic-Con as well, uh, where it, it's becoming much more acceptable to go to a convention and dress up as your favorite character. Yeah. You know, well, let's be frank. Let's be frank. The, the those of us who are those of us who grew up as intelligent nerds playing all these games and getting into this stuff, <laughs> we grew yeah. up. We grew up to be adults who are in control of pop culture. Let's be perfectly frank. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, so it's it's all it's all it's all falling. It's all rolling down the hill at this point, and it's beautiful. Um, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely beautiful. But it's. Um, I mean, like, like Dungeons and Dragons is like is like the new secret passion in Hollywood. You have very, very, <laughs> very rich, talented, famous, beautiful people that are playing Dungeons and Dragons at home, and yep. it's uh, it it's 
It's fantastic. <laughs> yep. It's absolutely, absolutely fantastic, man. Um, the the instant the instant wealth and status in in this world started being measuring by technology jobs as opposed to other jobs. Um, mm-hmm. The yeah. the nerds have gained the power. <laughs> <laughs> so unlimited power. Unlimited power. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Excellent. Well, guys, um, thank you for your questions. If you guys have any additional questions, please get them to us. But I think it is time. Um, <laughs> after uh, two and a half hours at this point, um, uh, to uh, to to put a wrap on this episode, um, uh, listeners, I we want want this to end. I know, I know, I don't want it to end. Um, uh, listeners, we want you to become a member of the Gamer Nation. We want you to visit us at d20radio.com, head to the forums, register, post your mind, call us, 262-D20-RADIO, Give, leave us a liner, tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast, or leave us a voicemail question. We absolutely love getting those for messages from the edge. Head to the Facebook page, suggest topics for shows. Head to the forums, suggest topics for shows. And uh, things are getting crazy. Things are getting wonderful. we got a lot of new stuff on the horizon. Um, and uh, a lot of excitement coming. Um, our next show uh, is is currently uh, a tentatively scheduled uh, for the third of September, uh, where we should be back, hopefully, to a a full firepower on this three host podcast. Um, um, but rather than the stand in, uh... well, I was going to say, but in the absence of my normal two co hosts, I was very pleased tonight to be joined by two men of intelligence. Uh, integrity, uh, excellent verbal communication skills, and quite frankly, who had something interesting to say, which is a rarity in the podcast. Oh, were they here? I, I was. I guess I didn't hear them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't sure. Was he talking about us? I'm not sure. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't let don't let it go to your heads. Um, um, but no, sincere, uh, but, but in all sincerity, first of all, Huli, thank you for stepping up to contribute to this conversation. As always, greatly appreciated. Um, Thank you, sir. And it's it's always an honor to be involved with you guys. Uh, I love the, the podcast. I love this game. So uh, anything that I can do to, uh, you know, move that, move the industry towards this game, I'm more than happy to help. And Fred... Thank you for joining us. Uh, you've been a fantastic co-host, and thank again, thank you for your support of the podcast. Thank you. It's been an absolute thrill, dude. Marvelous, 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 marvelous. I hope sincerely, Huli. I know I'll see you, but I hope sincerely, Fred, I'll get a chance to meet you in person at Gamer Nation Con next year. I'm gonna try and make it. Texas is tough from Boston, but I'm gonna try and make it. Hey, man, Phil. Phil makes the pilgrimage. Um. Talk to him, man, about flight deals and stuff like that. Oh, that's true. That's very true. And I will, I will say, I mean, the flight is is the one expense you will have. This is the cheapest freaking con you will ever come to. Uh, <laughs> the The badge is next to nothing. Our our convention hotel block it's less than ninety dollars a night. Um, even even cheaper if you're willing to room with other people. Um, and you can almost always get ride sharing. And if not, you can rent a compact car here for about thirty five bucks a day. Um, Great. Dude, and and Dallas is cheap. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, uh, so uh, here here uh, in September, we're we're planning on launching the next Kickstarter for Gamer Nation Con Five. Um, obviously, uh, in early April, we already have the date announced um, with our theme of magic. Um, 
it's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, I've been getting notifications. Uh, Dave is obviously at Gen Con, and you know, uh, are you Fred? So are you familiar, Fred, with the 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 auction we do at the end of Gamer Nation Con? I am not. So uh, this is something we shamelessly stole from ReaperCon, which which we we'd never seen this concept before, and and uh, uh, very lovingly stole this concept idea from them. But every hour of gaming that you do at our con, whether you are running or playing will earn you 10 XP. And we literally give you XP cards. Cool. At the end of the con, we have a giant pile of swag. Um, <laughs> we we have games. Fantasy Flight has always donated a tremendous amount of stuff to us. Um, other major publishers. I mean, Huli, what, what, kind of, what other kind of crazy stuff do we have at the auction every year? God, um, we had that wonderful, um, uh, was it a bedspread or a, um, a quilt um, or a tapestry or something like that Got that was done by one of the, uh, the people it was qu- um, Phil's, from the, the community. Phil's, yeah. wa- Phil's wife actually m- made, yes. made a Death Star quilt. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> uh, we had, we, I know we had, we had the staggering dragon guys come and set up their massively awesome gaming table and ran some games and they had some, they, they t- pitched in one of their 3d printed, uh, death star dice turret rollers. dice rollers. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and so there's creative stuff like that, but we, we literally have hundreds of board game and RPG titles that are donated. Um, just by 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 everyone and we we auction it off and the only currency you can use fred is the xp that you've earned playing at the con um very cool that that is the miniatures the painted miniatures by um oh yeah darren west uh, darren oh that's just awesome yeah he (laughs) he takes pewter reaper miniatures mods them to be star wars characters and then professionally paints them that's pretty freaking amazing um mm-hmm. uh so but uh dave dave was at gen con obviously and and one of the things that we do at gen con is we we reaffirm our relationships with various distributors and companies um and get their pledges to donate things and i can tell you that we have commitments from mayfair mayday hammer dog adam's apple games fantasy flight white buffalo usaopoly uh genius games have all pledged prize support for the convention this year um, nice. and we, cool. we get, we get a ton of stuff. So, um, <laughs> very, very exciting, but, uh, that Kickstarter is going to start later this month and, uh, or next month, I should say. And, uh, we're pretty excited. So, oh yeah. And awesome. Cri- Chris West maps, Chris West has every year always oh, yes. donated. I have heard of these famous maps. God, they're if beautiful. you have not got them, you must get them. They so, are amazing. They're amazing. Chris West was a show sponsor for a very long time. And if you want to see his work, you can go to mapsofmastery.com um, and, and check it out. Um, actually, very reasonably priced, he does a, uh, a map omnibus where it's basically PDFs of every single thing he's ever produced. I mean, there's scores and scores of, of quite frankly, the best looking maps in the industry. There's just, awesome. there's no substitute. So, very cool. Woo, okay. Gentlemen, thank you again. Gamer Nation. Thank you. <laughs> Gamer Nation, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William Thiel. 
This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast and Gamer Nation, LFC. Thank you.